Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is October the 5th of 2022. It is no longer September, which means we don't have to talk about the Sadistic September series. That's how it works. We made it out. We don't have to talk about it. Okay, let's talk about other stuff. I, uh, I, I talked to the Weekly Manga Recap lawyer, and they did say... <laughs> Technically, we are off the hook. Uh, acts of God do do save us from that clause. So because of Hurricane whatever it was, uh, Jigglypuff. <laughs> you can keep track. Hurricane Jigglypuff. Uh, we don't have to talk about getbackers. Yeah. So I hope everyone's good with that. Uh, so we'll uh, get the Spookmaster General in here. You know here. what? Or you know what? We don't have to do that either. You know what? We don't have to do anything I don't feel like doing. None oh. of it. None of it. <laughs> Nick's just like, I just want chocolate. Well, you don't eat chocolate. I was like, I just want dessert. I don't, I don't like fuck, <laughs> fuck all these vegetables. They can, eat my, they can eat the worst part of my ass. <laughs> uh, yeah. And as we all know, when Nick wants something to happen on Weekly Mug Recap, it always goes his way. Uh, I would you know, just every, say, I mean. Every we- contest we have for a veto, <laughs> I get that. Uh <laughs> And if you don't, it ends up being a series you approve of. I guess you I mean, didn't I have guess that. it worked out that way. I was going to say, he didn't have that big an issue with PPPP. It, was, it worked out okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say, look, we've already done the work in reading Get Backers. Why not discuss it, you know? Because it's so much easier if I can flush that out of my brain now instead of having to remember for a discussion. That's true. But think about the catharsis that will come. There might be a superpower that someone has that does that in this series. It, there probably is. You know, I feel like we should just get into it. We have so many series to talk about this week. But here's oh, the God. thing. Sadistic September trumps all of that. There's no One Piece this week. But if there was That's like, true. if we reached the end of the week and there was like three minutes left, I'd be like, I hope One Piece. Like, if you if you gave me the option, like, look, you could do like a full One Piece recap, or you could talk about Sadistic September. I'd be like, I, I will strangle One Piece in a river <laughs> to ensure that time gets to go to the Sadistic September recommendation. Are we sure that we read Get Backers though, Quinn, or were we just having a bad dream? Ooh, Nick. I think it's time to get back our okay. review of Get yeah. Backers. Get Backers as the name of the series that we read for Statistic September. And honestly, it's at a point now where I don't know, because it's going to be my turn next year. I don't know what the hell we're going to read. Like, I don't know what there is left to plumb from the days when I would just stay up until 2 p.m. the next day reading shitty, mediocre manga uh, that we can go, go back to. But in this case, Get Backers, it's a series that ran for... An insanely long time, <laughs> 1999 until 2007, uh, written by Yuya Aoki, illustrated by Rando Ayamine. Uh, and um, it was published in North America for a time by yes. Tokyo Pop, uh-huh. which is out of business. So you cannot buy this series in english legally anymore i think i still own some of the volumes for this technically it's out of print it's out of print you can get it you can get it second hand i i should yeah. say but everything is out of print because tokyo pop uh the series is about a duo of protagonists named bon and 
Gen- is it Gen- Genji, yeah. right? Uh, who are retrieval specialists. If you have lost something or something has been stolen from you, then they will get back er it for Wait, you. is that why they're called that? That's well, the other reason they're called that is because Bond starts with B and Genji starts with G. So G B get back. Yeah. <laughs> hey, talk to your stuff if you got it, you know? So, um, Bond wears stupid sunglasses. Um, they're too small. Don't die at me. They're, they're too small to be cool. Okay. They're tiny sunglasses. I hate them. I hate them every time that he shows up. Uh, and, uh, Genji, uh, has blonde hair and he shoots sparky sparks. He's an electric, he's an electric, he's an electricity dude. Actually, for all the weird bullshit that Bond does, the fact that you could just sum up Genji with, he shocks people. Like, it seems like way too simple <laughs> <Yes>. an explanation. <laughs> yeah, there's a real dichotomy between them. Like one has like three different power sets. The other guy zaps people and you're like, all right, well, fair enough. Bond's powers are no, start. We can't, we can't. We can't talk about that. We had to save that until well, later because I, it, I have it, like an it, entire it. bit about how fucking stupid <laughs> Bond's power set is. So Genji and Bond have superpowers of varying degrees, and they will take on essentially any task to get back something for you. And initially, they seem like just gigantic fucking losers who can't catch a break because literally like the first couple chapters are about them like begging a kid to like steal his video game back for him so that they can get enough money to buy like one soda so they don't starve on the street yes and then like the very next story they're doing car chases and stuff they're they're immediately dealing in like art uh thefts and stuff like that and then you gradually learn that, oh, no, wait, Genji was in this, like, big gang that ran this one city, and Bon was hopping around Europe, and his uh, this reputation is part, he, he killed someone who was part of his former gang that was kind of like the get-backers before, and it's like, how are these guys, how are these guys ever in a position where they were just some losers on the street who had to deal with very 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 low stakes stuff if they've done all of these things in their life and were these infamous figures how did this happen because no explanation for why they're in that position other than they're just poor and suck is ever given well nick there's there's an interesting dichotomy in this series uh where at parts it is a dramatic story with a lot of you know serious story beats and then also it's a silly wacky story and when it's silly wacky like when it's serious genji and bon are the most competent accomplished uh, barely ever able to fail duo you ever see. When it's time to be a little serious, they're hilariously incompetent, and will like they'll be like holding like a Fabergé egg, and then they'll like drop it into a dog's butt or something like that. They're just like whoa, and that's like the silly fun of it all. Like you get a little bit of both. You get like them at their best, and then them at their worst. You, the two of them together—that's the get backers trademark. And. And very much, it's not a situation of and never the twain shall meet. They jump back and forth between those two moods without warning 
all the goddamn time within the same scene there will be a moment where they're like hey things are going great for us yeah things are going well and then someone will do like one thing that will slightly piss them off and they'll be like oh do you want to fucking die <laughs> they just get really serious and just butcher them in an immediate yeah they'll like fall butt first into like a fucking criminal's compound but then the bad guy will be like i like to do crime and they're like are you ready to have a bad dream motherfucker and you're just like <laughs> you're like all right man like it really does you're like i guess it's a cartoon until shit gets serious and then it's like a regular serious battle long and there's like you almost need like like a like the clapboard to come in like cut all right time to be serious let's go there uh, are a couple of bits where you get like character profiles, as is typical in a lot of manga, and the character summaries for them were just like trying my patience <laughs> when I would read them. They don't. They be... don't make anyone look like they're in a better light. Like every character description is like, mm. because it would. It, they'll say stuff like. Bond is a happy-go-lucky guy who likes goofing around and grabbing girls' boobs. Uh, but also, but also, he's a very smart guy with a lot of insane talents that people underestimate him with, and everyone likes him. <laughs> you can't pair those things together. He's an incompetent asshole who sexually harasses women, and also everyone loves him. Everyone does, <laughs> you know. Everyone, hey, you know, he's just so fun. Everyone loves to hang out with him, even when he just violates your, your your personal space and your body you know it's just wacky fun it's just bye he's being silly um there's there's like sort of a a rhythm to this series at the start of it uh which is like uh they're given a mission hey you guys have to get something back usually by like sort of a, a somewhat sympathetic party or something like that and they're like all right we're gonna get this back uh, and then there's always a complication there's always some kind of twist there's always some kind of like difficulty in doing it. it's not as simple as like hey pick up this box and bring it back here there's always some extra level of just like the box was actually a baby or something no. like that something like that they'll run into a bad guy bond evil eyes them that's how they kind of get away and then they'll get every back. time i fucking hate the evil eyes so much <laughs> and then they'll get back and that's how it runs for a while um and at that point, I would say it's at its most basic and probably it's at a weird point where it's like it's probably its most boring. And yet at the same time, it's at its best, I would almost say, because the series has an issue with getting really overwritten as it goes on. Like the moment they go to the Infinity Fortress, which is the yeah. place that uh, Genji is from, the series becomes so complicated. There are so many like like groups and mysterious figures and mythos and lore being added and you're just like fuck dude remember when they had to get a violin back <laughs> like and that was like the big thing the violin the stradivarius retrieval arc is probably the best the series ever is because it is at the very least like okay a light adventure that has a twist in it that makes sense uh there is you know things are grounded enough and there are characters involved in it that aren't them and also aren't insanely stupid yes. like that that arc introduces two characters like okay i at least get their deal they may not be the best characters but as far as this series is concerned they're the best written ones yes. probably uh but 
then as time goes by, as you were as you were saying, the series likes to talk a lot while having nothing to say. Essentially, uh, there are all sorts of stuff in it, that come up involving simulations and shit that explain certain things that didn't need explaining and don't explain other things that definitely need explaining. Like, like I said before, how were they ever in this position if all this other stuff has happened to them? Like, in that same Stradivarius arc, uh, they infiltrate uh, this Yakuza-run party so that they can get uh, close enough to uh, this girl's stolen Stradivarius violin and get it. Uh, but they're undercover as a classical musical group that's going to be performing for the party. And uh, they're like, oh, shit. Oh, well, okay. Uh, and so Bond starts playing the violin, and they're like, oh, thank God Bond had his superpower that lets him create illusions so that, you know, people would, would think that he was a skilled violinist. And then he's like, I didn't need it for that. That was just me playing. And it's like, wait, you're a, a skilled classical violinist? Yep. Never mentioned again. <laughs> it's, it's mentioned it enough that they're just like, he had spent a lot of time as a kid reading and practicing stuff and becoming super awesome at everything. <laughs> at everything. Just everything. I want to I talk about Bond really quickly here. So to explain the evil eye is this power he has where um, he looks into somebody's eyes and he basically projects uh, a vision onto them for one minute and usually it's the bad guy so it's a bad vision where the bad guy thinks they're winning but then like oh no all the people i killed are coming back as zombies to kill me or something like that it's like it's a nightmarish vision where it looks like the bad guys have won but then inevitably they get beat or sometimes uses on good people to let them see things that they they couldn't otherwise experience or things like that you know there's, there's a mix of things uh it sounds like it's a broken ability because once he uses it he can just do whatever the fuck he wants like and he exists in the real world and can do things like he has used it to be like, all right, well, while you're under the evil, I'm going to take shit out of your pockets. Yeah, I'm just going to do that. So it's it's crazy. But they're like, all right, well, we're going to put a couple of rules to it. First, like, he, uh, he, he, he needs new to have, limitations. It's he, OK now. He needs to have eye contact. Like, OK, that's that's one of the first big rules. Uh, he can only use it once on a person per 24 hours. So once he's used on somebody, he can't use it again. Like, all right, well, that seems pretty good. And then three. He can't use it more than three times in a day. And it's like, okay, cool. Like almost like a D&D campaign where you're like, I had to throw enough mobs at these guys that they had to burn their spell slots. Like I, I like that's the challenge. It eventually becomes a series. Like there are strict limitations to how much bong it is. Also, his left or his right hand can crush anything it ever touches. Also, also he is an insanely skilled hand-to-hand combatant. <laughs> you know, like, like, also his hand is like his right hand is superhumanly strong and will destroy anything it ever touches. You're like, well, hold on a moment, there, Buster. It, it's really, like, it's like the hot dog meme. Like, why does he get two powers? <laughs> It's completely unrelated to anything. And it's not like, oh, well, so does Genji also, I don't know, get to, like, run super fast? No, he just shocks people. <laughs> there is, like, eventually I, a buildup to, like, the lore and stuff. But it's all, like, later explanation as to why he does this stuff. Later. It's ultimately still just, like, I gave him another power, which is the super awesome hand power. It does definitely seem as if at a certain point while writing this, Yuyaoki was like, okay, well, this power is like super broken, so I'll put limitations on it. But I still want Bond to be one of the main characters of the story and get into fights and stuff. So also 
his one of his hands is just the jaws of life and <laughs> and also if he's stuck into the wall he can just gather a bunch of strength into himself to just complete share the wall and then he tears the dude's face off without using his evil eye it's, <laughs> all right it's absurd he's also just like so much of like a he's a very obnoxious protagonist he is probably i guess the main character of the series between him and genji they share that role a lot but it seems like bond takes a little bit more of the spotlight just because he's involved in a lot of stuff um Mm -hmm. but bond himself has like as you said before it's 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 like a clear divide in his character where it's like on one hand when he's when he's goofy he is so obnoxious he is constantly like harassing women and being so annoying creepy as well like some of the people he checks out are like underage also one is his sister we get to that much much later but that's very weird um and he's just like and he's just like mean and shitty to everybody like except for genji like he's constantly bullying people and calling them shitty nicknames but then when it's time to get serious, he's just like, cool dude. You have a bad dream. Yeah, he's just cool dude, make awesome person, and he can do no wrong. And you're like, fuck, man. Like, like you don't want it to, like, when you're experiencing one, you're like, oh, I wish we could go to the other one. And then you get to the other one, and you're like, this thing sucks, too. I hate this part, too. <laughs> I have played uh rpgs with people who basically play bond and i fucking it's the worst experience to get the person who's a little shit and then when it's time to get serious they're like and now i'm super badass and cool and unflappable against anything and i have eight superpowers i it's, it's just so annoying and to go a little bit more to the sexual harassment part of it look this is just kind of like par for the course yeah. Uh, for a certain genre uh, and a certain period as well of shonen action stuff. However, I have to point this out whenever this happens. One of the ways that Get Backers establishes this character is a villainous piece of shit is by having them sexually harass or assault a woman. And it's like, oh, look at that disgusting piece of trash groping that woman against her will using his position of power over her in order to extract sexual favors from her. Then in the same chapter, Bond, while being goofy and wacky, will grow up like the same woman. Like, you can't have it both ways. You can't say this makes you a bad person, but this makes him wacky and lovable. Fuck off. For so much of the series, there are only really two extremely prominent female characters in the series, which is Heaven and Himiko. And Himiko spends, like, almost the entirety of the series when she's put into an action lead, like having her clothes torn off or being captured or just being nude for whatever reason it's not quite as like egregious maybe or maybe it's just not as flagrant as it was in like other series like flame of reka um but it really is like a very notice like twice in one arc she loses all of her clothes and like i just remember being like how does this happen twice like you're you're like the fifth most important character in this arc how did it happen like this um yeah and it's a deeply unfortunate thing because I was like, I feel like I could like this character a lot more if they just executed better. And Heaven is literally like 
just a gigantic pair of breasts that then a character design had to be attached to. But the character design is really, really bad. It's hilarious. I've sent several images into our Discord as I find them. Like, anytime Heaven shows up, there's like a full-page spread of her in her new outfit. And the, the author clearly drew the breasts and then was like, fuck, what do I do with the rest of this? And just kind of wings it. Because, like... Uh, the all right, she's got she's to gotta be technically covered hang on how do i do this <laughs> well it's it's not even that like the proportions will be all off like her oh, fucking her waist will be like seven times longer than the rest of her body her eye will be kind of crooked it's 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 almost hilarious at times because then like those images will be used if you're reading the volume as like the in-between shots and you're just like what who is this for this shot's bad i don't like i don't know what to tell you but there's boobs in it that's what that's what people like to see that's why i put it as well, uh, uh, you know, yep. uh, spotlight because boobs. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so she's yeah. very much a forgetter. And uh, yeah, she's. Nope. Sorry, I think we, we we got caught up now. Yeah. Okay. Quinn was. Did, did you like any part of this series? You were the one who read this series beforehand. So. So yeah. Um. I read this series back in it must have been like the mid 2000s as I said I owned a couple of the Tokyo Pop volumes of this uh, and I got to uh, I've mentioned this before the reason why this series kind of came up is because I know I've mentioned before on the podcast reading through the Infinity Fortress arc and our main duo teams up with three other side characters who are kind of allies to them and then one person who has deliberately like been an antagonist to them and has only ever been an antagonist but it's like we all have to work together on this mission to enter into this fortress that's essentially like a dungeon <laughs> i'll talk about the infinity fortress more later because it's stupid um but this it's a six person team who are going in to retrieve this item and then like part of the way through they just start talking about how there's a judas in the group there's a traitor to this group this group is six characters someone within it is a judas and the most obvious answer would be all right, well, Akabane, Dr. Jackal, who is the antagonist to this group previously, who's a part of it, would be the the, the villain because – or the Judas because they're the evil person in the group. And it, it, it would be rote and kind of tired to, like, try to bury the lead that this was not – like, if it was him as the Judas, why not just say it? Because you're suspecting them the whole time. Especially because, like, the group is split up at these points. Yeah. So uh, there's there, – there, the group of six is in three groups of two. And so Dr. Jekyll is with Genji and he's like, I think that someone in our group must be a was must be a Judas. So he brings this up. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's brought up there. And then we continuously cut over to the villain of the arc who, who brings up that there's a Judas coming and all this sort of stuff. And it keeps getting referenced over and over again. And it's to this point where you're just like, all right, my guy, like. Who could it be? Like it, you can't do Doctor Jackal if you're if you're building it up this much, you can't have the answer be like, "Oh, it was the guy with the giant knife in his hand all the time?" Like, you can't do a mystery like that. Like you guys, like that is clearly the person who's the red herring. The answer is somebody else because like the entire thing is like, "Hey, there's sort of like mysteries to this this place, and like people become different. Like because most of the cast is from the Infinity Fortress, so like some people become different people when they're back here. There's a lot of trauma that's associated with this place, a lot of challenges. Who knows? Maybe these people we thought were your friends, like they have a secret to them, and then like it's revealed, and it's like it's Doctor Jackal. You're like, well, what the fuck was the point of all this? Like obviously it was that guy. If you're not going to do something interesting with that. Don't build it up because there was no satisfying reveal to any of that. 
And don't have him in while he's alone with one other person say, by the way, I think someone is betraying us. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you raise that suspicion against yourself? (laughs) Uh, And I read to that point when I originally read the series, and I think a little bit further, I don't even think I truly finished the arc. And that was where I kind of stopped collecting the volumes just because I wasn't as interested in it anymore. Um, And... I knew I was like, you know, I don't remember because I remember some parts being cool. I remember like the fight between Kake, uh, not Kake, uh, well, yeah, Kake, Jubei, uh, and Kazuki being kind of a cool fight that they have. Um, and I was like, maybe I'll appreciate the series more. And I, I, I will say this do not like hide some of my feelings on this. I do think this is probably the least bad of any series we've read for Statistics September, and that I would probably agree with that. I yeah. can appreciate some things the series tries to do i will say for as overwritten as i find it i do appreciate that it tries to be uh, like interestingly written that does try to like tie together some themes and some concepts and there is like like a growing narrative throughout it so i think it is very satisfying and i i think yes i read this series when i was 13 and i think another 13 year old who just got into manga and had only those options available to them would find themselves interested in this However, I think this is a series that, as you get older, loses a lot of its luster because it's it's just kind of goofy and not as deep as it wants to be and not as cool as it's trying to be either. Like, eventually you just reach a point where you're like, yeah, I don't really like anyone in this series that much. Everyone's kind of an asshole. I, I mean, I have to say, like, I led with all the negative stuff. One, because that's kind of like what people expect from Six September. And two, because that's really the only memorable thing that I have or the only actual pure real reaction I had to anything that I read because for the most of it I did just kind of experience this sort of dull acceptance of things that were happening without really caring what was happening um and I think it might be down to just the amount of manga that I've read at this point and the fact that I'm, you know, older and more jaded than I would have been when the series was actually coming out. I do know that there were some people that I, uh, you know, hung out with around this time that whose opinions I respected who were like, oh, I really like it, Beckers. You know, it's this, it's, you know, it's an action series, but it's a bit different because it's not just, you know, pure battle. There's mm-hmm. like this gimmick of, you know, there, there's kind of a, a heist sort of, uh, feeling associated with it sometimes uh and in some of the missions that the gatebackers go on there there is that kind of feel one of their early missions for example is it takes place across you know a car chase that that they're having um <clears throat> so i but i don't i i don't have very strong negative feelings about this it, this feels like something that i'll just really kind of forget more than anything else in a little while uh, because it's, yeah, it's just, you know, another shonen adventure series with characters that aren't that great. And that's just kind of it, as far as I feel. Also, there are weird things involving simulated reality. Well, uh, <laughs> I want to talk about an arc. I want to talk. So I guess I, I guess I should start with saying uh, with explaining the Infinity Fortress arc, because that's that's something that I guess has been like brewing in my mind i guess there's like a young quinn who's just like you need to talk about this so it's the first like significantly major arc in the series and that it spans like seven volumes it's a long arc yeah Um, it's it's longer than every other arc prior to it combined so yeah 
So it's it's this very extensive thing, and it involves essentially the entire cast of the series of characters at this point. Bond and Genji, uh, Shido shows up, Kazuki is a member we know, and then Himiko also shows up, plus Akabane, Dr. Jackal. And then we also balloon the cast up by like seven more characters through this and most of whom stay significantly relevant throughout the rest of the story as well like it's a big thing so infinity fortress like hey we have this hired job we need to go retrieve the il we need to go get this and they don't they don't know what it is but it's like hey what's the il what could it be the il does it stand for something could it be (laughs) (laughs) 49? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, hey, we have to go back to Genji's home, this Infinity Fortress, which you don't really know much about until you get there. And then you're like, okay, it's like, they, we just know Genji was a part of a gang. And you're like, all right. So the Infinity Fortress is like this big tower that has like slums around it. And you're like, sure. Not really, though. Like, it seems like that. It's actually a labyrinth. (laughs) Yeah, the like, it's it looks like that. Like, it looks like there's this poor, impoverished area where like crimes have to rise up to protect the populace and like to survive. Like, it's an extremely rough area to live. Um, But also, it's like a long tower that goes up and has like a super awesome mega world at the very top there's like essentially gods up there they don't really know they're like the people at the top control everything not just infinity fortress perhaps the entire world and there's like a calm belt-esque area in between i think it's actually called the something belt like the the, they're like you can't like nobody from the bottom area can get to the top because there's so many strong fighters in the middle that you just can't even possibly get there also it's magic this is the most technologically (laughs) advanced place and there's electromagnetism that erupts throughout this that heals people quicker and kind of like works different with time it's very different they get finally this is basically lost too by this point by the way electromagnetism shows up and just causes weird issues they finally get to like what the il is and the answer is like it's an implosion lens which i don't know anything about nuclear arms but apparently like that is what allows like you need that to build a nuclear warhead that is the weapon that is is being built and you spend so long getting to it they're like you have to fight the four heavenly king i forget what the fuck they call themselves but there's like a rival villain group they have to beat and then they have to beat themselves like they have to beat them like three times like these motherfuckers keep showing up and fighting each other over and over and over again and then akabane does his big betrayal and he's like i'm delivering plutonium to you or uranium i forget what uh, element he actually brings but he's like i have brought this to you that's why i'm the judas but now that my contract is done i shall switch sides because i akabane only care about fighting <laughs> akabane sucks by the way he's not campy like Hisoka, and he's not intense like kenpachi so he's super fucking boring and he shows up all the goddamn time he sucks they eventually have to like fight Makube, which I don't want to say this series because it has a ton of lore is a lot like Kingdom Hearts because I think that's kind of a rote comparison. Not everything with a lot of lore is like Kingdom Hearts. They're different things. However, I will say Makube, Makubex is a character who was one person, became mysterious, and then just added an X to their name. So there is, there is some comparison on that point. Uh, and then they eventually just make friends with Makubex. Like Makubex was like, I everything. I, there is no randomness in our world. Everything is controlled by the people at the top. Um, and the only way I can get them to possibly respond to us 
is to uh, threaten to nuke everything, to destroy everything. Uh, and that's that's what like the heart of the arc is. And it's it sounds like when you boil it down, this could be interesting. Like when you when you really like cliff notes this story, you're like, all right, they go in expecting one thing. They this is somebody who Genji once considered a friend, but they're not anymore. However, mm-hmm. like there's complicated feelings there and there's a lot of like anger from the people who stayed behind versus those who left the Infinity Fortress. And it would be interesting to see these forces react, especially when like the villain doesn't want power. The villain wants freedom, wants answers, essentially. But it's so much dialogue and like overwritten nonsense and like flashing back and forth and like we're going to give you a nugget of an answer at a time and there's an old man who's computer hacker and he's important and you have to cut back to him and his stupid grandkid over and over again it's it's just very exhaustive and then it turns out that were they actually people or how were they all just part of a simulated reality? Because <laughs> there's one other arc I want to talk about before we get to the end. I, okay, I, I, no, no, uh, there are people within uh, the Infinity Fortress that are just like programs. Oh yeah, so, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> there's that. Um, yeah, you mentioned the dialogue, and I think that that was a big thing for me was that there would just be so many instances and i think that the one the, there was the part of it that actually really drove it home for me was uh when they're in the infinity fortress and the group gets separated uh genji and dr jackal had had previously had a fight genji like defeated him because he would hide knives inside his body and he used his electricity to magnetize them and tear them out of uh, dr jackal's body so i was like ah i beat you but now there's that tension between them uh, because Dr. Jackal's a horrible murder fight loving dude. And Genji is like, oh, this guy probably has a grudge against me and he's he might, and he might kill me. But they're off by themselves. And they spend like half a chapter talking about nothing. Yes. When you could have summed it up by, by by spending maybe three pages talking about like, okay, we're separated from people. There's tension. We have to get it going. And then and instead, there's just a bunch of them talking about nothing. And it made me realize, oh, no, this just happens all the time. There, Why use five words to state a point when 200 words will do? It seems to be how this series goes about a lot of different things. A lot of really unimportant points get over explained in so many different ways. And really, it's just like you don't need to tell me why people can do certain things. They've got superpowers. That's cool with me. Yeah. Or explain you, that whatever. So that so that's kind of a thing. And uh, I thought I, I, I might have had another point, but I, I've I've left it. So so you can go ahead. Sorry. So the other arc I want to talk about is I I don't remember divine design. I think it was called the divine design arc. Essentially, the arc begins super innocuously. The main characters are trying to get their car un- uh, untowed, and they're like, we, we're 10 cents short. So they go outside, and there's like a kid who's like, all right, I'll give you 10 cents if you get back my other cards. And eventually, it ravels them into this whole fucking thing involving this this card system called Divine Design. And I'm not entirely clear if it's intended to be a game. They're essentially like tarot cards. 
Um, and the tarot cards seem to be specifically tailored to people in there. There's one called like the Master of the Evil Eye. There's one called the Lightning Lord, uh, and then like the Master Strings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's one essentially for these characters, and everyone's like, we got these cards. And they're like, we, we can't destroy them. There's almost like something intrinsically linked to our life force. And it leads into this, this group led by this character called Lucifer, who is using the cards to essentially try to create like a utopia. And the way he's doing it is he's like kind of misleading these children along and being like, you will be my archangels. You will lead me essentially. And Bond, the characters go to like fight against him. Bond encounters Lucifer, and Lucifer kicks the ever-loving shit out of him. Just like fucking donkey stomps him across an arena, like seven chapters, just fucking mutilates him. And Bond's like defeated and barely escapes with his life. And they have to undergo a training arc where they run into like this fortune teller who has to explain the game. This is again where I'm not sure if it's a game because she constantly refers to it as a game, but there's nothing on the card except a picture in the text box. So I, or like a title box. So I have no idea what the, like it, 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 it's a type. Hey, that's, that's how it is in the dub of Yu-Gi-Oh though. Yeah. So, you know, every, everyone knows what a card does just based on there being a little Ingram and then a giant image. Yeah. And it's like, Oh no, this thing has like five sentences of, of effect text, <laughs> yeah. but none of it's written here. But they have to learn to, like, utilize this divine design game because they're like, that's the challenge. And to, to, to try to explain it is essentially divine design is like one part hockey from one piece plus one part uh, domain expansion from Jujutsu Kaisen. Like, in this way, you literally enforce your will kind of in the area. And in this way, it's like you if you don't have it, you just cannot compete with somebody else has it. It's not enough to be like, hey, these cards give these kids magical powers. Because again, people just have superpowers in this series. It's not like that big of a deal. But they're like, no, it's actually essentially like a sixth sense fourth dimension kind of thing. Like it's it's so conceptual. You you don't possibly get it. And the main characters have to train to use this and the way they train is by stacking eggs and walking through traffic without hitting any cards and finally they achieve their master success and the way they prove that they achieve their master success is they literally walk through the wall of a cafe and over a hole because they are no longer bound to the laws of reality that is what divine design has actively done they have transcended all of that and then they just go and they just beat their opponents like through normal action shit they never use any of this again and then as it's happening bond explains he's like was there even a wall there who even knows and then at the end they reveal there wasn't a wall there but like this super reality was very important but the hole was there so who really knows what the answer is and then bond finally runs into lucifer again and he punches his heart out in one blow and wins the fight and you're like what was the point of all this? We spent six fucking chapters having Kazuki fight his other fucking... He has so many goddamn friends from that stupid fucking tower who just keeps showing up. We had to deal with all of that. But then, like, Bond's like, actually, I used the evil eye. You're not dead, and you actually had a sick daughter or something like that. So you're not actually a bad guy after all. And then he's like, yes, I've, I'll no longer do this. And then, like, post-credit scene, he's in a hallway, and Akabane shows up, and he's like, "Nah, I've killed you, I've stabbed you, and then you're dead. He doesn't do that, because he's not that charismatic. He just walks up, he's just like, you were that strong after all. And then it's like, what was the point of this? This arc makes no sense. Why bring up the concept of super reality 
if it's just not going to be used. And I know why they do it, because the entire end of this series is that, oh, they were all stuck in a simulation all along. And it's about escaping that. It's about free will. But you're like, you built up this concept so much and it doesn't do anything. Why didn't you just say the cards give kids powers? I feel like I've been too hard on Hunter Hunter for its weird uh, side arcs with uh, mechanics explanations that don't show up after the arc, uh, because at least they're, you know, like, well thought out, you know, and it's like, OK, there's an internal consistency and sense about these things. Uh, yeah, I will say, so, I will say that, that I again, this is not the worst series you've read no. uh, it has bad points as mentioned and very clear this should be like the main thing this series has a lot of bad takes um towards misogyny and a lot just a lot of bad jokes in general kazuki's whole thing is like you look like a girl so much so that like bond tries to peep on them when they're in like a hot spring and it's like what a dude and like there's a lot of bad jokes like that there's like a dog fucking joke in like the first couple chapters it's bad but like as far as just speaking narratively i am impressed by some of the things that it does because it does try to tie things together narratively and some of the time i'm like you know if i was 13 again and i didn't have much experience with a lot of manga again I'd probably be impressed with some of these things because it is better written than I think some of its other contemporaries, but it's just so overwritten that to get to those points, like it is, I think this is a satisfying series. Just read the cliff notes on and you're just like, sure, Mm -hmm. absolutely. You don't have to sit there through 30 chapters of like, you have to fight Himiko's mirror version of herself before it comes into reality. And, 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 uh, you know, she becomes the voodoo child and all this stuff. You're just like, I get it. They need to escape the simulation. What is truly freedom, et cetera, et cetera. We don't need to be this over the top about it. I don't need this to run for 39 volumes when like tw- so like 20 would have been enough. Probably even too much there. Probably a bit too much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've got uh, nothing more to add. Uh, I'm going to forget entirely about this series probably within two months. Uh, when we consider our our worst series. I don't even know if this will make my top three worst series because I, 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 I just got, I just got, I just don't have strong enough feelings about it. So I would agree. I, yeah. I think this, 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 I don't know if it makes my worst series of the year. It makes maybe my most frustrating series of the year, but I don't, well, maybe it still does. I don't remember how many bad series or series I'd say were bad. We've read this year. Uh, Love stage was last year. I can't just use that again. Right. Right. Just, right. Every, just every year. Just, <laughs> <laughs> really ram in on credo prime's recommendation uh well you know we could like have different variations of it credo prime uh represents uh love stage yeah. <laughs> just have to be... oh no we could cover it again this year <laughs> good yeah um but i will say that it is still i look i, I guess this is what there's I a sequel series for that right <laughs> i, I want to sum it up i guess is this if you like this series now or you liked it at one point in time I totally understand that. Mm. At one point in time, I enjoyed this series, even though I eventually got tired of it. So I totally understand that. But as I said, through the viewpoint of someone 25 years or whatever removed from that, not that long, but like 20 years removed from that point, um, 
this series does not hold up particularly well. It is, it is, it is, it is not that good of a series, unfortunately. And that's okay. Yeah, some stuff doesn't age well. Yeah. All right, guys, we got a lot of mangas to talk about uh, for weekly stuff. Yeah. So, what? I dropped my glasses, Nick. I'll be back in a second. God damn it. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll just start things off. So uh, we're going to start off by talking about My Hero Academia. Oh, you Nicholas! What have you done with Quinn? It's Spooktober, meaning the most spooktacular time of the year is upon us. God damn it. You couldn't even get it. <laughs> it's time for Spooktober! <laughs> No, carry on. <laughs> got too much mong- I've got too much mong to talk about to focus on this, okay? <laughs> carry on, do as you need to. All right, it's, uh, I gotta talk about my hair. I, I shall be off on the side just adding common commentary. What should I say? Common boo Terry. I thought there was a boo in there when I started. <laughs> <It's not. laughs> you could have said common terror. Like, come on. Like... Do I Hold on, let's go, here? let's go back, my commentary! Nope, nope, nope. Terry, another chance. Okay. You missed, you had your chance and you missed it. All right, That's my hair academia, chapter number 368. <laughs> rev up, one for all. I thought that that revs looked like hay for a second. Anyway. Uh, uh, Nick, shouldn't we talk about the cover page? Hagakure's fucking naked and visible on it, and there are just like bands that are basically acting as sensor ribbons across her naughty bits. And uh yeah, so this is the thing that happened. She's 16. Moving on. Alright. Uh Deku last time showed up to to fight Shigaraki. Uh he now questions Shigaraki asking if the kid is still in there or if they've completely been taken over by All for One's personality. All for one Shigaraki is like, no one by that name exists. The two have achieved a perfect melding. Uh and is all I'm evil and I'm the one in charge of this body. Bah ha 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 ha. And then Mirio's like, I don't know. When I made that rude accusation before, he acted like he was suddenly possessed by someone else, and he started raging and freaking out like a child. Also, he laughed when I showed him my whole butt. So maybe there is an immature kid in there somewhere. So, yeah. But the recommendation is, oh, well, the more that we fought, the more unstable he got. Yes. Uh, Nana Shimura is one of the different uh, vessels that is uh, watching proceedings from Deku's point of view. She looks at one of the faces that is manifested in Shigaraki's giant hand finger things. Uh, and I guess that I think that that's supposed to be her son, maybe. I can't. I'm not sure. Anyway. But they're like, yeah, he's still in there. So they start to fight. Shigaraki charges forward and there is a a a Hassam's effect. It's it's smash, but it goes the other way. So it's Hassam's. Uh, and uh Deku's like, I'm going to beat you. And he combines a bunch of several quirks together uh, in order to create a black chain thing that smashes into Shigaraki and smashes him across the ground. Uh, and one of the one of the one for all vessels is like, we're going to win. It's very, very necessary that he said something. 
Deku uses the transmission quirk so that um he does cool punch things to Shigaraki. And everyone's like, what the hell is going on? And they say, oh, this is a meta ability that changes a target's speed when touched. So basically, he can punch Shigaraki multiple times without sending him flying because he's slowing him down between punches while he also stays fast. Yes. So he punches him good. Very good. Uh, yeah. And uh, they're like, oh, we're going to win. Uh, and uh, Deku hits a Detroit smash. You know, it's 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 an exciting thing of like, cool, we're like building up. Deku's doing his next big attack, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I'd say because we're in this, I'm excited for it. I don't know if it's going to necessarily function as well as I'd like. I think there might be some issues as this develops. But as it is right now, I, I came away like, okay, this is kind of cool. There were some cool uh, punchy bits in this. Uh, and uh, I could actually follow the action for the most part for once. There so, you go. Good. Yeah. All right. Let's... Should we talk about Undead Unlock then? Yes. Let's talk about Undead Unlock. Number 129, Sacred Spirit Treasures. Spirits are kind of spirit, uh, scary, Nick. It's like the spirit of Halloween. Spooky spirit treasures. Spooky yeah. spirit Ooh. treasures. And Undead's already in the name. So this is the spookiest series of weekly manga recap. I'm giving it my uh, stamp right now called Chunk. Uh, so we're back at the flashback of uh, Victor, uh, who's just basically like, why does this bitch like me? <laughs> like, it's really kind of what his thought process is. He's like, I don't get it. I suck. And she fucking loves me. Um, there's also like a growing fan theory that Juez might be trans because like when we see the character here, they don't have much of a chest and like uh, mm-hmm. a kind of short masculine haircut. I don't know if I 100% mm-hmm. buy it, but I absolutely see where people go with that. And I, I do yeah. think that's like a fun head, head cannon. Um, So... Essentially, we'd be the only trans character in the series. So, Mm -hmm. so we we have this moment of essentially Victor kind of right before last chapter ended being like, hey, look, shit's happened. You did all that stuff and it barely lasted like a couple minutes like like you're not doing so hot. And some people think she was just around before gender was introduced. That could be also be a thing. Uh, And they're just like, hey. Uh, look, Sun is just two steps away from destroying Ark. Tag me in. Let me be here at this point, like right by her side, tending to her all the way up until the end. Like, it's what she's wanted. This death will set her free. And I want to help her until she takes her final breath. And in exchange, in the next loop, you won't see me again. I'm never going to come out. So I just need to know what these feelings are that Juez gave me. And he's like, okay. Come right back after you're done, because waiting 4.6 billion years is my job. Oh, man. Can you imagine, like, striking that deal? Someone's like, okay, but I get to wait around for 4.6 billion years doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You talked me into fair, it. <laughs> fair enough, I suppose. Have me over the barrel. Uh, so the two of them are working together, Victor, Victor and Juez, and they're like, we're going to use the sacred spirit treasures. And we see a whole bunch of rocks are headed towards them. 
and uh, Victor is using his attacks and he's dodging it. And then there's like a giant beam cannon from the face of, of the sun who's just like, ah, and it looks like it eviscerates him. Like it's just this gigantic explosion. We don't really see anything. And then we just see Luna is like superb. They would have been wiped out without that. A superior artifacts weapon of my own creation capable of killing sun. Aegis, one of the three sacred spirit treasures. And See, uh, it's okay if you do the whole that, if you immediately on the next page explain what that is. Uh-huh. That's okay. We've also had this like revealed to us before. I think, I can't remember if this is the one that we saw under. I think Get, it is. But yeah, yeah, I think it might be. And they're like, hey, if you hadn't continued to hear, clear quests to preserve until like 2020, you wouldn't have located that treasure. Like, I guess it does mean something that you did all this work to this point. And I love Fuku's face during all this because Fuku's like, you why are you finding this interesting you weird fuck yeah it's all just a game to them yeah uh and then juez activates their weapon the fuer bois saber i don't know how to pronounce that exactly uh but it is a fucking sword of mouths and black energy it's really fucking metal it's called rebellion uh it literally has mouths and eyes and hands writhing off of it uh, and Luna's just like, oh, this is awesome. Two spirit spe- treasures will be taken on God. This is great. Uh, Juez is like, why are you using this? This sword belongs to you. And he's like, no, I've put all my effort into you doing this. This is you. The sword is fueled by vengeance. And uh, Luna is explaining, like, Juez has never once lost heart nor quelled her rage for even a moment. So Juez, unjustice, is worthy of reeling it imbue the sword with all the hatred you've had over these 99 loops and juez basically says like i will imbue this with the bitter regrets of all of my comrades who have died all of my anger and all of my rage are coming at you these last four 455.4 billion years are coming at you god my love my anger and all of my sorrow It's pretty metal. It's it's actually pretty it's metal. Fucking insane. Uh, yeah, this is a great chapter. I I love just how big everything feels. Uh, like there's a ton of like page and a half spreads all throughout this, and they all feel like really big moments. And the end, yeah, like one of the most effective parts of it, as you mentioned, is just Fuko just reacting to Luna, just being like, "Oh man, this is fun. This is great." Like. My friends are going to die. What the fuck is wrong with you? But, you know, without saying anything, because it's far more effective to just show her expression as she grimaces and stares in disbelief at this thing. So, yeah, good stuff. Very good stuff. Okay, so uh, Kaiju number eight. Uh, It's chapter. Watch Nick! Don't you mean Kaiju number eight? Yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Captain Narumi, Captain Nabumi, there <laughs> has showed up on the scene. You didn't to... give me the opportunity nope. to interrupt you. Nope. We don't have time. Has showed up on the scene and, uh, to uh, clean stuff up while the uh, when after Dwayne was attacked by uh, Kaiju. Uh, he starts to say stuff, uh, but one of the other agents uh, who is conveniently wearing a full gas mask, so we don't ever have to know what their face looks like, uh, he escorts him away. And he's like, but, oh, but, but, 
we, you should go back up Captain Narumi. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We need to evacuate because he's fully equipped with Kaiju weapon number one. He's essentially a Daikaiju in, in human form. He is basically the most dangerous life form in the area at this moment. So we need to go. And uh, we get to see Narumi briefly in action as um, it seems as though he basically like bullet times all the Kaiju around him and immediately blows them up with huge explosive bullets. Uh, he then gets a status report from Hasegawa because, you know, he can handle his share of this, but there are so many kaiju attacking all over the ward that they need backup. But there is a problem because everywhere in Tokyo is being attacked all at once, which we, of course, already knew. But we get to see that in greater detail and see different divisions and different captains addressing their various issues in a quick little collage. And they Narumi quickly concludes like, yeah, someone is pulling the strings here. Someone coordinate all these attacks. And then we get this big two full page spread of Kaiju number nine moving a chess piece as they, as he says number nine is making its move except number nine is moving the king which is not bad generally an offensive move. maneuver bad piece to move yeah <laughs> he's putting it real out there so he doesn't seem to know what he's doing uh in order to he's like <laughs> i watched the queen's gambit you knew you moved the big piece to the forward and then they lose Although, one has to wonder, since this is Narumi making this comparison, presumably, is it number nine that doesn't know how to play chess, oh, or is it Narumi? He has no idea. No, it's not a video game. So, so we get a bit more reporting of the, a bit about different stuff. See some of the huge kaiju, including this dinosaur-looking one with a weird face that's just going, <laughs> for long grimacing. Uh, and uh, so Haskell says, yeah, there, there's an overwhelming no uh, number of them. We can't request backup from any other division, so what do we do? And Rumi just says, we kick their asses ourselves. This is what we've been preparing for. Fair enough. Uh, and he tells Haisagawa to deploy you-know-what. Uh, and we cut to a nearby base where Kaiju weapon number four is being uh, launched via a dedicated electromagnetic catapult device. Gotta launch you know, some Power Rangers like shit. We gotta fucking catapult it into the battlefield. It, it is very giant mech kind of feeling. Uh, and uh, Kikaru is fully equipped with uh, the number four weapon. She's got her freaking axe with her as well. And she gets in this like darling in the franks looking like motorcycle thing in order to be launched forward uh and she just said you know thinks to herself as she's getting set you know like i'm gonna be fill, you know filling my mother's shoes and she swears that she's gonna be worthy of the weapon that she's wearing and she asks for help uh from her dead parents to lend her strength and she says that she's heading out we get this just this big two-page spread of her determined expression and it's very cool nice um, how do you like, uh, Kikoru's design? I don't like the suit on her. I liked her old suit better. Did I get the right name? Kikoru is the girl, yes. But Nick, don't you mean Kikoru? Gore. Kikoru? Gotcha. Yeah, I don't like the design either, honestly. It's, I don't know. There's something about it I wish I liked. For some reason, it's... Like, I don't know. I wish, like, the chest was a little bit more symmetrical. Yeah. 
don't know. And or or it, less symmetrical. I don't know. There's something with it. Yeah, it's a little bit too plain. And I think that the fact that it's all almost all one color isn't helping, too. So. Uh, we got a short chapter of Spy Family. Very short. Uh, there is a very nice, uh, you know, two page spread to so to, you know, just kind of mark the uh, beginning of autumn. Also, uh, the second half of the first season of the anime. Anya is uh, struggling with history. Uh, so Lloyd hatches a scheme because he knows that she's been doing better with, you know, math because of stuff, you know, examples that from her, you know, Bond Man cartoon. But he realizes like, well, but there's nothing in the spy cartoons that has to do with history. But what if I were to craft original stories for Bond Man that dealt with it? And so he goes and just like makes cartoons. My man with animates <laughs> an entire cartoon so that he could teach his daughter. And you're like, that's almost cute if you know he isn't doing it because he's like, look, we, our country loses this war if we don't do this. <laughs> so there's he he goes and does it, and then we get to see little bits of the cartoon that he's made where Bondman stops in the middle of the action to just very obviously say, which way is north? I know, a compass needle always points north. <laughs> this is like really basic shit. And then, you know, time goes by, Anya's watching it, and then she just looks over her shoulder and just says, this cartoon sucks. <laughs> and that's it. it is a great image, and I, I hope everybody has saved it uh, for reaction images when they need to. You know, uh, you could, you, this, this image has a lot of uh, 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 links to it. Staying power. It, it can run a lot, I think. So. It's very exploitable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it's, very, it's a great short chapter uh, of this series, I would say. It builds up to one joke, and it's a good punchline. So. Yes. Quinn, have you had a good time talking about Eden Zero while I was gone, by the way? Uh, <laughs> we, I, I did, but before I know we, we got I know we got to do World Trigger, but yes. I, I just want to ask you first. Have you, did you have fun talking about the Eden Zero while I was gone? <laughs> no. Yeah, well, we, we have such a fun chapter to talk about this week, so, we're, you know, you can't, we'll you can't ever spare it. Uh, World Trigger. Uh, but don't you mean Gould Trigger? Okay. Chapter See, the Spookmaster still got it. Yeah, yeah, you do. Sure. It's the away mission test part 23. We've been here. We're going to have been here for like four different calendar years very soon, I think. Yeah. God. All right. Uh, the, the, so there's there's two things that are going to happen, Nick, like they're, that are fully inevitable. One is the heat death of our universe. That is right. inevitability that's going to come. And the second is one day. We're going to get to the away mission. It's not today, but one day we're actually going to get there. So last time, the amazing plan that people hatched in order to get Katori out of her funk was promising to introduce her to Scruffy Hottie. And it worked. Yes. Uh, and she's like very intent on this as they're eating dinner. And she says, all right, we need to iron out details. This <laughs> is not letting this go. Um, and yeah, but she clarifies like, okay, what's my goal here? What, what am I going to have to do? Where are the conditions? Do I just have to earn a certain number of points? Do I just have to do my best? Do I have to reach a certain rank? Uh, and, uh, actually she's specifically told like, I mean, like you could just like try your best. She's like, no, 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 no. I need to, it's, I, need I, mean, to I wasn't solving out before. I need yeah. a tangible goal. 
So uh, Sua says, uh, Mikumo's got to make it onto the away mission. That's your goal. We can't really do anything to influence Kyosuke, so this is between you guys. So Katori doesn't look very happy about this, and she kind of grimaces and struggles with it for a moment. She's like, all right, you're serious of going on this mission? And Osama's like, yes. And she says, then you better keep your freaking promise. (laughs) This is the most serious Katori has been about anything. Um... And then we have to go and check on other squads, and immediately I lose interest in almost all of this. <laughs> yeah, this part was super cool, and then it's just like seven squads. You're like, I don't give a shit about any of you. Except I kind of care about Ninomiya squad, and I right. guess like a small part of me cares about the squad that Yuma is on. And we just keep jumping between them, and it's like... Fuck, I for, I keep forgetting. There's like twelve of you fucking squads. Absolutely, and I mean, like, it, it's a good thing that like uh, Osamu's squad has these like little subplots going on where they're like you know hatching schemes that they've got to keep Katori's interest and stuff because you get around to all these others and it's like it's just the same story repeated multiple times. Like, well, we got to try and do something in order to get a leg up on the competition. We got to do something in order to handle the special assignment and score better. Taichi's hat is still stupid. Uh, and that's basically it. Uh, there is a little bit where Nina Mia uh, is kind of like practicing carrot and stick between the two kids on his team where he's hard on Yuzuru because that's his motivation for him. And then with Chica, he's like, hey, you performed better than you did yesterday, so keep it up. And she's like, oh, okay. And it's like, yay, you use different approaches for different people if they have different results. That's good. Aww. Good for that. Um, and uh, there is a brief moment between Yuma and Urushima where he says, hey, what were you texting about earlier? Were you giving your squad mate advice? And Urushima says, nah, nothing like that. Why do you care? And he was like, hmm, he's not even trying to lie. And he can detect lies. So, yep. so there's that. They again go over like, we got to win more battles and stuff. And Yuma says that he has an idea for what they can do against uh, Mizukami and Ninomiya that they ha- that are far and above, above everyone in battle sim stuff. Uh, and uh, we go over to Sua Squad again. And they're like, what do we do? And they start to realize like, okay, there's we got, we got to figure something out in terms of like skills. Katori presses the point of like, look, four eyes is like our bait. Everyone just makes a beeline for him. And then when he falls, then we kind of get overwhelmed by the numbers and the, and the disadvantage that way. And he, we can use him as bait, but he gets taken down so easily that he's not even acting as proper bait. So they think about like, okay, well, could we like defend him better? What should we do? Uh, Osamu says, I've got a few ideas that I've been mulling over, but we're lacking in data. And they're like, okay, but we've got all the data from our battles. And Osamu says, well, yeah, I think we should ask around the other squads and get data from them to supplement the data we're gathering in our battles. Uh, and so they start to make some calls. The first person that they call is Kodera. Uh, Sua calls him. And they go over that, and Kodera's like, I mean, I'm going to have your squad, so why should I make this deal with you? And Sua says, oh, so you're not trying to, you know, compete to be the number one squad? You stand to benefit from this, too, and you're not currently at the top of the standing, so you should work with us if you care about winning it all. And Kodera's like, all right, fine, I'll talk to you. And uh, 
the chapter ends with uh, Osamu instead taking over the conversation with Kodera. So we're going to find out what information he needs, presumably next chapter. Yeah, uh, I feel like this is like the third time in the away mission like setup that we've had a chapter that kind of ends with Osamu being like, I think I might know what we need to do. And like, he always does come up with something, but like, you're still kind of waiting for like that big moment where Osamu does something like truly crazy and awesome. And we just kind of haven't really gotten one yet. So I don't know if that's going to be this or if this is just going to be another one of those moments where he's like, hey, turns out we all have different data or something like that, you know, something along those lines. Quinn, we had to wait like seven years for Osamu to get his one battle sim victory thing. So we might be waiting here a while. We, we, we so. could be absolutely waiting here for a while. Um, but in the meantime, Nick, let's talk about a, a truly revolutionary chapter of Eden Zero. This is Eden Zero, Chapter 210, The True Enemy, or The Boo Enemy. Uh, yeah. I don't have the hand nearby to do the lights, but, you know, you get it so Ziggy has been returned to the personality he was before the bad Ziggy has been suppressed and he just says Ziggy is asleep for now this is our only chance kill me Ziggy's like grandpa Ziggy's like yeah I know you have a lot of questions but I don't have time to answer them Ziggy's going to wake up so before that happens you have to and Shiki interrupts him just like wait is it actually you and it's like yeah I've blocked the other Master Ziggy that was controlling him. I believe that this is most likely the personality that you knew as as Master Ziggy. Names get confusing in this chapter, I should indicate. Yes. Because they don't really do anything to distinguish between evil Ziggy and good guy Grandpa Ziggy. Yes. I guess I should just say Grandpa Ziggy when we're talking about the quote-unquote good one. So yeah, she, she that'd, very, that'd be easier. Yeah, yeah. So Shiki's very confused. He's like, "Wait, you told me like that guy just told me you came from the future to save the human race. Like, how did like what happened? Like, I don't understand." And Grandpa's like, "He's like, well, it isn't exactly another personality that you've met. I had been to, and we'd suddenly get like a brand new explanation of stuff. It's <laughs> I was taken over. I had all my memories." sort of erased i don't remember anything before coming twenty thousand years into the future you know twenty thousand years from now i set out eden zero and left the planet eden on a quest to find universe zero but then the unthinkable happened my ship ran into the chronophage and i came out the other end and i knew nothing i landed on this planet in universe one I had none of my memories. My ship was exploding, and I guess the explosions made a sound like a ringing bell, which is why I named the planet Grand Bell, after the sound of the ship exploding. You're like, sure, whatever, man. Um, and he's like, yeah, there was no information, but I built a, a, a entire functioning economy, essentially, by myself. Of, like, popul- With a theme park! <laughs> yeah. I built like a populace of people of robots who all had their own like unique personalities and shit like that. I was essentially God to all of them. I just want to be very clear about that. But one day, someone like a guest to the theme park mentioned Mother. So I was like, oh shit, gotta go do that. So I set out to go find Mother and retrieve my memories. But before you, I got there, I found you, uh, Shiki. And Shiki's like, where did you find me? And Grandpa Ziggy's like, I, I can't tell you that. 
And Shiki's really angry. He's like, why not? Why can't you tell me where I'm from? And he's like, because it's not time for that plot reveal yet. Exactly. That is exactly what happened. Just the same way the last piece of detail that we had like a week or two ago where it's like, hey, this is almost a piece of information we're about to be revealed. Like, no, not quite yet. Grandpa Ziggy's like, you don't know when the time comes, but now you know the rest of the story. I died and that should have been it. But my body was taken over and I came back to life. And my body was, you know, all my memories from my life is Shiki that, you know, I claim to be 20,000 years in the future. Those were things that were told to me. I don't remember them. You know, those memories are completely gone. So all the stuff that we saw before in a flashback was not a flashback. It was a flashback of this is what I was told was my backstory. Yeah. Kind of, okay. kind of like it's because it, it's 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 more than that because like not Grandpa Ziggy believes it and we're not entirely certain like when they're like that's another personality or like someone control you know we'll get into it. Um, yeah. He's like, look, the one thing I do remember is that the time I spent with you was truly precious and important to me, and I still think of you as my grandson. And Pino is like, hey, who was it that took over you? And Grandpa Ziggy's like, the real enemy, the true evil that you must fight. And it's here on Lendard as we speak. And we cut, like, it's like a group shot of, like, every fucking character involved in this arc, including Lobelia, who's done nothing. So I guess it's important to put her in there. Uh, and, like... Also and, including Rebecca's mother, who is, yes. you know, comatose. So. And I had so much trouble. I was like, who is the woman on the bottom of the second page? And I was like, oh, it's Holy. Because I thought the person next to it was Holy. And then I remembered the hero is really right. bad at drawing distinct character designs. I'm like, no, that's Feather. Holy is the one in the bed. Very, very dumb. Shiki is, of course, like, who is this enemy? And Grandpa Ziggy's like, the real enemy's name is... <laughs> can't say it bro it's like the scene in fucking kingdom hearts 2 where all the characters have to be like let's go get her the what somebody has stolen the word and they just keep doing it you're just like this is so fucking stupid to watch a character be like i can't say the name i've done everything up until this point can't you like tell us like what they do what they look like i can't say the name could you write it down on a piece of paper real quick like oh that sounds like a lot of work Ooh, do you have paper on you he he keeps he gets all poetic and stuff when he could just be like you know the one with 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 the swords like (laughs) anything like that yeah could have just shouted the name out like way before this instead of everything else but like of course he's like look i'm about to power down like I'm going to go to my lowest level, you use your attack, and you kill me. And Cheeky's like, wait, why would I do that? Like, if there's a real enemy, then you don't have to. And he's like, no, you don't understand. If you don't do this, I'm just going to become a pawn again. Like, please, put me out of my misery, Cheeky. And we see Grandpa Ziggy is, like, crying at this point. Cut over to the Eden Zero. Uh, Connor is sitting outside the medical room while Rebecca's mom gets worked on. Uh, Hermit's there and is like, holy shit, this is a lot. Like, <laughs> this is so much fucking nonsense. Ziggy was taken over by someone. He can't tell us the secret of Ziggy's, of Shiki's birth. Uh, what does this have to do? Why, why were the shining stars all erased? What is Pino? What is this? And then there's like, wait, there's one thing I still don't get. Oh, <gasps> I can't be true. Then this means the true enemy is. And then we cut back down to Lendard. 
where we see a bunch of bodies. We start with just one shot from like kind of far away. And then we see a couple of Urza's crewmates. And then what I believe is Jesse from. I believe that is. From fucking. Because it's the gun, too. And some other kind of band. I don't know if it was like an ether, you know, restraining band or, or something like that. I can't tell. Uh, and then the person standing over them is Elsie. Whoa. Hold on. Wait a moment, Nick. Are you saying Elsie is the real bad guy all along? Almost certainly not. This is almost certainly almost a red definitely not. There oh. is no fucking way, Elsie. <laughs> almost certainly, this is, she's being controlled or just stumbled upon it. But yeah, uh, that is the situation here. Um, this was a dumb revelation that truly encapsulates that this series is being written in the moment and not like in an extended time frame because this doesn't. No. Like I know it kind of adds up with a couple of the details we've known. But it doesn't really seem to talk. Like, why did we get like, it's just paced so poorly that you're like, it can't, this can't possibly be the way you want to execute this story. You can't possibly have been like, here's the big revelation. Here's like some fucking weird, stupid three chapter detour about dead end crow. And then here's the real story. Like, what's the point? Yeah. Also, like. Also, if Jesse is dead, that is the greatest conclusion to a story ever that they showed up, killed that fucking loser, got it all blamed on Hamor, and then before any conclusion to that narrative could happen, he gets killed. It's like when a D&D game happens and you accidentally kill like a quested born NBC and the DM's (laughs) just like, I guess that storyline's over. (laughs) If you had to choose a character like say from this collage that we get of all the cast members uh, or, you know, just like an established Eden Zero character to be the true enemy behind it all, who would you choose? If it had to be a character on that list, I would assume it's somebody like probably somebody like a racer or some shit like that. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, here's the thing. This is unfortunately like a tried and true hero concept like of his three major series this is now the third time he's like done a fake out where we think there's one villain and it's actually someone else is the big villain all along right master we thought it was king and it turns out it's actually king's son is the real bad guy fairy tale we thought it was Zeref, and it actually turns out that actualgia was the big villain this series we think it's going to be ziggy and it's like no there's actually another antagonist that is like the big bad guy all along and people have been like kind of theorizing it for a bit just because heroes predictable unfortunately uh if it's like if you made me pick a character here i'd be like it's either gonna be like eraser or saint fire Knox, but like they're not actually the bad guy it's like an evil personality inside them or some dumb shit like that if i had to choose an established character i would go with valkyrie hmm it's like it's like no, they were never actually dead. They and they've been orchestrating this the whole time and stuff. That'd be kind it's of like, that'd, that'd be kind of metal. I don't think they'd ever do it because uh, it wouldn't yeah. make a ton of sense. But like that's what that's why I would I would just go with like yeah, yeah it's just like something that'd be impactful and also you know hopefully like you know that means that Homura does something <laughs> as a result yeah. of that. All right, we've got two chapters of Akane Banashi to talk about. Well, Nick, we uh, only need to talk about one chapter really. This this one. We can just flash forward the last one. Stuff happened. Boom. Now we're at this one. See, I recapped it for you. There were a bunch also, of characters that got introduced. Yeah. <laughs> but, Nick, don't you... Actually, I don't have one for this one, so carry on. Okay, fine. 
Uh, yeah, a bunch of characters get introduced as like very important Rakugo people. Botchnik! Don't you what? mean Rockbugo? Yes. Wait, hold on. It's it's very spooky. It's very spooky. Spoo- How you very lean over and turn the lights on. And uh, uh, Akane asks for assistance from Kyo- Kyoji uh, in order to, so that she can like, hey, I, mean, I realize I'm lacking, so I need to like you know learn to like play instruments and dance and stuff. And uh, Kyoji actually gets kind of like embarrassed about it because the other two uh, like predicted this would happen. But you know, he actually takes her side. Is like, oh yeah, here's how you know you like. You, here's how you play the taiko drum, and it's like I've played this arcade game before. I know how you do this. You have to uh, just make sure that you hit the rim and you don't hit it too hard because then you break it. And everyone always breaks the taiko drums because they get too over enthusiastic. You don't need to hit it as hard as you can. You just need to tap it rhythmically. Come I want. Guys. I wanted to play the game too, you assholes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so. That that all happens. A whole bunch of stuff has been is getting said as well about Akane because you know of that Twitter view. Got they got you around. Got a lot of attention. She went semi-viral and uh, got a lot of attention. Uh, and um, we get uh, a flashback from Koji's perspective where he talks to uh, I think it's another Rakugoka uh, who says like, "Oh yeah, you know, people are wondering if Isho was actually just using this event." So he could get a second Kaisei Arakawa. And maybe all that built up negative emotion towards Mastery Show is going to get directed at Akane, who's just an easier target. Because you can't really go after Isho Arakawa because he's so prominent. But you could go after just this newcomer girl who's young. Um, but uh, Kyoji is watching his, you know, his little sister apprentice and is just like, yeah, I, I, I think that she can handle it. And... We get a time skip via drum beat as Akane keeps on hitting the taiko drum until with one last beat, it's suddenly eight months later and she uh, is going to see, she she has apparently met up with Kureishi and it's like, what's going on? What's happening? Well, what's next chapter? So they are there in order to begin proper Zenza training for Akane. Uh, Kureshi has already begun his Zenza training. And uh, we see that uh, Akane is uh, going to start her training. She's like doing like cleaning up stuff as, you know, the new apprentice uh, in the group. Uh, we get a reestablishment of like, hey, here's how you get promoted to Futatsume. Uh, and uh, they establish that like, oh yeah, Kaisei reached it in just two years. So Akai is like, I gotta, I gotta catch up, and I gotta go fast. Um, and uh, Shigama uh, gave her the contact uh, in order to get in as a trainee uh, because uh, Kureshi is a new Zenza there as well. And uh, Akane remembers Kureshi as Karashi Noodlemeyer uh, because that's how she remembers the name Nerimaya. I'm sure it must be some other pun in Japanese, but that's a very interesting one, way that gets carried over. Uh-huh. Kureishi, however, has uh, gotten taken on as an apprentice by the spooky-looking mustache guy. Did someone say spooky? He, he's got no pupils. Look how spooky he is. Uh, he's just kind of old. 
You know? Yeah, okay. He's a little spooky, but not that spooky. I guess he's kind of Undertaker-like. A little bit. Yeah. Can you imagine Undertaker with that mustache? <laughs> I mean, is it a better ensemble to the rest? Of, like, from the nose down, would you take that or the, the Sarah Neck tattoo, which she had for quite a long time as the undead wizard zombie? <laughs> he's like, who really? Yeah, who loves my wife? <laughs> I love my wife, the one before Michelle. <laughs> yeah. My ex, she ruled. <laughs> uh, Karashi uh, starts to mock uh, Akane because he's been a Zenza apprentice for two months and she's only just started. Uh, and he's like, I'm your senpai in every way, so address me with respect. And instead, Akane is just kind of relieved and she makes this very cartoonish expression. I'm not sure entirely how to describe it. Um, uh, but she's like, oh, you know, I'm glad that I know someone here that's nice yeah. that there's a familiar face. And so she just doesn't really care that Karachi's trying to, to big time or, or anything. Um, and uh, there is, they're within one of the places in Tokyo where there's a lot of Rakugo that, that gets uh, performed uh, at these places called Joseki Entertainment Halls. Uh, and they are in particular going to the Yasakate performance hall, this very, very cool looking place. Uh, and Akane is you know, taken aback when they approach it because it looks like it's from a different time period with the you know, old style roof, uh, talismans and stuff over the wall, uh, over the entrance. And uh, as they head inside, uh, Karashi says, my master said to me that all the giants and greats of the past developed their skills on this stage, that this place is packed with the blood, sweat, and tears of Rakugoka. And Akane is in awe as she beholds the stage, which is a very nice, uh, a, a very nice shot. It's nice to just have that feeling be shared with the protagonist. Uh, Akane starts to settle in and deposit her stuff backstage, uh, but when she goes to put her stuff behind the kimono rack, she comes across the biggest jump scare this week, probably. I don't know. I don't think that there's a creepier moment, personally, <laughs> that happens. Um, there is uh, another Zenza here uh, called Kenpute. Uh, he is the most senior Zenza, the Tate Zenza. So he kind of like looks after everyone. And there's also a very punky Zenza guy uh, named Asagao. Uh, and uh, Akane greets him and she sits, bows to him respectfully. And uh, Asagao says, oh, yeah, I know you. You caused that big stir last summer. That guy that you're that girl he shows trying to promote. Right. Uh but he says, look, you're not going to get any special treatment when you join your Azenza like everyone else, and I make the rules here. So stay in line and know your place. He's fun. What <laughs> a jerk. I hate him. I hope he gets hit by a car. That might be extreme. Oh, that I, seems a little bit. I hope, I hope he gets uh, his foot run over by a bike. But like a small okay. one, yeah. See? All there right. we go. It's all about mediation. Not yeah, not necessarily a rickshaw. Just you know, like a, maybe you'll, maybe you'll have training wheels on it still. Yeah, could be a could be a child's bike. It's still gonna hurt. Uh, so it's Akane moving into the next stage for training. There's a lot of just stuff being established in these chapters. Yes, so. it's good though. I like it. Aliens area, Botnik. Don't you mean like- alien scaria? 
Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's got aliens in the title, so I don't know why we need another one, but okay. Uh, scary so, Chapter number 16. Too many cooks spoil the broth. Uh, it's kind of backstory for Tatsumi about how he got the substance implant thing uh, when he was a bit younger. Uh, and I was like, I don't want to go to your house, Grandpa. And they're like, all right, well, then babysit your little kids and stuff. And Tatsumi's like, why do we have to move, Dad? And his dad's like, I'll tell you why. You thought if you moved, you could escape. All quitters think like that. I heard these two helped aliens escape from the branch. Oh, man, his parents were alien sympathizers, and they got murdered to fuck because of it. Uh, murdered uh, to fuck. With fire, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, um, the people who killed them, uh, were very, very, very inefficient. Like, they break Tatsumi's mom's leg so she can't escape the fire. But then they're just like, uh, we're just gonna leave now instead of killing these people. We're just going to leave and let the fire do its work, and I hope that none of them escape or anything. Yep. So, yeah, A3Co's parents. One of the, uh, director guys in the group is like, who cares? <laughs> um... And they say, like, ah, oh, well, you see, A3 is doing the implants. They capture and torture Mumerians and make the substances. At first, the aliens were involved in the operation, but A3's members couldn't trust them with that for very long. And Tatsumi's like, yeah, and my parents left because they learned about that, and they helped the Mumerians escape. And then they came and told me the truth. They put the substance implant into me in hopes that I would adapt to it and save me, as I nearly choked to death from fire. Yeah, so instead of, like, moving Tatsumi's body um, before operating on him, they were just like, now nah, we'll just do it right here. Seems like a good idea. Yeah. Also, it's a very horror manga panel. Like, just, like, stuff being shoved up his mouth and, and dr stuff drilled into his brain and stuff. It's crazy. Uh, so like, well, why do I? They, why do they want to make substance implants? And they're like, because they want to kill aliens. Basically, <laughs> that's they're that's mean. what it boils down to. <laughs> uh, so they're like, all right, well, we've got to, uh, we got to get some votes though. Uh, and uh, one of there's a kind of slimy looking guy who asks a question of Shiraku, which is like, "Hey, did you question the Shogo and Tatsunami guys separately?" And Shiraku's like, "Yes, I did." Well, well they agree separately, so that sounds reliable. So okay, uh, so like, all right, now there there's five people for and four people against, and there's one neutral vote. So that's all we gotta do. And then they go over to Kato, and he's like, "If I support this, then that makes it a majority." And he said, and he starts to say something, but then uh, uh, one of the other directors stands, just pounds the table and goes, "People are hurting, but you're afraid of the risk. Better to face that risk and handle it." Uh, and then Kiyotaro stands up and says, "I vote yes uh, because Izumi is correct, and I was too weak." And Izumi also accepts the proposal, and uh, and uh, one other guy's like, "Oh, I accept it too." So. Uh, uh, and then the, one of the really reluctant guys is like, okay, but if A3 is behind the implants, are they behind yours, Shiraku? And Shiraku's like, I mean, I was implanted as a baby in Foreign Affairs 5 raised me, so I don't see how that's a problem. And then the guy's like, I'm too old for this, and <laughs> 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 yeah. 
<laughs> so they get the vote. Chapter number 17, The Summons. Let's review the plan one last time for the audience's benefit. Uh, there's a Hasdome. What's a Hasdome? It's a hide-and-seek system. Whatever that means. So Satsumi's team will arrest the big shots and stuff. Uh, and uh, one of them's like, uh, well, but Kato wants to know if a certain delivery is going smoothly. Just say what it is. Uh, and uh, Kato is the leader of Team 10 in this case. Uh, he's got intelligence and, uh, and stuff. Uh, and uh, there's a hummingbird that uh, communicates with them and a mouse. They're using aminals as communication devices. Uh, and um, when there's a person who is um, doing stuff while implants are happening. It's weird. It's hard to tell what's going on. Uh, and they're splitting up in order to do stuff and going down an elevator and they go into a room that looks like it's outside when it's really deep underground. And Shiraku explains to Tatsumi that it's tech for subterranean aliens that makes them feel like they're outside. Uh, but now that they're down here, their devices don't work. What's happening? Well, all their other tech works, like their phones and stuff, so it's it's some sort of jamming device specifically for their tech. And a guy shoots a gun at them. Oh my gosh. Uh, what's going to happen? Oh, he's got a special device that jams their devices called Nirvana. Uh, and they just kind of like hide around the corner of the elevator that they came down, and Chiraku says, yeah, a3 wiped out Team 5, and the main culprit used this kind of equipment to disable their equipment. And that makes him Kiyotora's mortal enemy. Whoa. Dude, Nick, this guy's like a super big, like, counter to this guy I don't care about. Yeah. Holy Who's shit. Who's not here right now. <laughs> dude, Nick, this new guy counters this dude I don't know. This is fucking yeah. wild. Dude, area, so- Aliens area is popping off. This guy's got ears on a string, and he's like, I'm the Foreign Affairs 5 killer! That's what they call me! And Truck is like, I'll go confront him anyway. And they're like, but you don't have any devices and stuff. And Truck says, do you think I'm defenseless? And the guy says, your equipment won't work here! And Shiraku says, never underestimate the benefits of desk work involving tons of documentation, which is the least cool badass boast I've ever heard. He goes to shoot Shiraku, but the bullet gets sliced in half. Oh my god, it's the universe's top assassin from Tatsumi and Shiraku's first mission together. The guy who seemed definitely like he would be an anti-hero ally is now an anti-hero ally. Who could have seen this coming? I can't remember if we said that at the time. We were like, this dude's gonna come back. Because, yeah, it does feel like something that was very obvious. This is so wild and dumb i like this motherfucker just shows up like his thing i don't know if this is supposed to be like a twist like oh shiraku expected this like because the the way you read this chapter shiraku's like never underestimate the benefits of desk work involving lot tons of documentation section five killer is like i don't understand what you mean fires the gun bullet gets cut in half assassin guy shows up so what does Shiraku's boast do to this? Did he use his documentation to hire him? Like, why is this guy here is the question. It is a very, like, it feels like something, like, I feel like I missed a line or something. Like, something to explain. Because, like, was he that close with him? 
before this happened like that he was just like let me call my buddy the number one assassin like let me just do that he's like my friend like, i know we yeah. fought each other but like now we we're bonded like, yeah like now i i got to talking with them turns out he likes a lot of the same things i like we, we listen to a lot of the same music to be completely honest which i think is pretty cool uh and uh really good yeah yeah it's important to be able to bond with someone because you know, like Having an interest is one thing. Being able to share that interest with someone else is very important, though. Yeah. Sometimes I talk with people about stuff that they don't like, but they like to listen to me talk about it and vice versa. And that makes us both appreciate it more. Yeah. Blue Box Chapter 70. Don't you mean Blue Box, Nick? I mean, yeah, I guess. Chapter I number the 70. One out of the way. Remember, the Spookmaster General's powers get stronger. Stronger. Of course, yeah. Yes. It's chapter number 70, an exciting event. Chiatsu is watering the cactus that I had to be told was a metaphor for her feelings for Tajiki because sometimes I'm not that smart. <laughs> um, but uh, these two chapters actually lead into each other quite well because uh, we get set up that there's going to be an autumn training camp. Wouldn't you know it? The clubs for badminton and basketball and rhythmic gymnastics are all going on the same trip. Uh, Ayame is the one who gets this. Very specifically, ever. those three. Yeah, I mean, which it does make sense in that those do seem to be the only three sports at the school that they ever talk about. So they're probably the only three that are actually good. So I yeah. guess it does make sense that way. There's like a a flag football club at the school as well, but they don't have nearly as much of a budget. So they're like, yeah, our, our, our school trip is just to like, I don't know, go to the alley behind the school. We're going we're, we're gonna to do a practice in a Wendy's parking lot. That's our field trip. <laughs> can we get can we get Frosties after? No, absolutely not. That is not in the budget. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how many of there of you there are? There's like three of you. I'm not going to buy three. I'll first. be honest. I'll be honest. Even if you kids shared like seven kids to a Frosty, we still can't afford it. Like, you don't understand. We've spent a lot of money on gambling. And we we just keep picking against you. It's very weird. You're the best teams in our school. But we're like, I mean, they're due. Like, they're due to fuck up. <laughs> So Ayame sees this as a huge opportunity because she's like, oh, hey, it's going to be a big group sleepover, essentially. So that means that I can get Shinatsu together with her with that upperclassman hottie and I can h help play matchmaker for Yinota and Hina. So she's like, yeah, that's right. I'm going to be totally awesome for people. But as she's kind of walking around with that thought in her head, she comes across Taiki, who is practicing at badminton, and uh, she talks to uh, his, his name is said later. I'll pick it up later. Uh, the shaved head captain guy. And she's like, hey, is he actually like good at this game? And he says, I mean, he might be one of the best on the TV. He's probably the best first year that we've got. And he did beat Yusa last time, too, which is new. So I this. and she's like, well, maybe he was wearing weights on his arms and legs when he know to beat him. <laughs> Stands too hard. Uh, but she's starting to notice that, hey, Taiki's kind of good at this sports thing. Oh, this won't cause complications in the future at all. No. But uh, she grabs uh, Taiki's attention while, uh, while he's kind of busy thinking about badminton stuff. He specifically thinks about, uh, about like, oh, Hyaru's not like, 
he's not he's not playing me a badman. I want Senpai to notice me and to help me get better at badman stuff. Uh, but uh, he gets grabbed and uh, taken off to go and get some shuttlecocks, which both Hina and Shinatsu react to. Oh, that boy's going off somewhere with that girl. Mm. Uh, Nagisa puts a basketball in front of her face and it's like, this is your new face, <laughs> which is. Oh, wait, that's not Nagisa. Sorry. I just assumed it was because they were being friendly with, with Shinatsu. And Matsuoka's personality had not really been established previously prior to this. This is what he does. He uh, is like, ah, yeah, yeah, you're you're a totally spacey airhead. And they're joking around and stuff. Yep. Uh, Ayame uh, is, goes around with, with Taiki. Uh, she just keeps on talking about, like, I wish Yusa were here so I could dote on him. <laughs> Jesus. You're not a good manager. <laughs> She's like, I wish that I could sabotage my team. Uh, but uh, what gets established is because she just like will casually talk to people as they're going down the hall and she says hi to two different guys and Taiki's like, oh, you're kind of popular. And she says, yeah, those are my exes. Like, but both of them, yeah. And I, I dated that guy and then later I dated that guy. Uh, and Taiki says, oh, it must be nice to be in love so often. And Ayane says, it's not really about being in love all the time. When somebody tells you they like you, why not go out with them? I mean, I do turn down people who really are my type, which is hypocritical of her. Uh, and then Taiki's like, okay, well, if you're saying that, then what about you and Yusa? And she's just like, these are two separate <laughs> things. <laughs> Listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. Uh, but she says, hey, you know, why wouldn't I be grateful if someone said that they liked me? I mean, maybe I wouldn't like them at first. But maybe I would change my mind after we start going out. So why not give it a shot? And she's like, haha, planting the seed. I'm going to make him go out with Hina. That's great. But, uh, and Taiki it says, like, you know, it's true. Someone saying that they like you definitely gets you thinking about them, which makes Ayama think, like, oh, maybe he's way further along than I thought he was. This is, you got it, Hina. You got it, girl. So. She makes a lot of great expressions in this chapter as well, I should say. Yes. Big, big, goofy, fanged expressions. She, she is a very uh, charismatic character at this yeah. point. Uh, we catch up with the basketball club a bit, and we get <laughs> a freaking school love match legend. This would not be a romantic comedy series without it. Uh, it's in particular a bonfire legend. If two people ask each other out in front of the bonfire, their fire will, their love will erupt into a blaze. They'll live happily ever after. Shinatsu seems to think about this. Uh, then we get to chapter 71. Uh, joint training camp, which opens with Ayame getting freaked out by a spider. Yes. Ah! That's also Very. kind of spooky for Halloween, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, spider! <laughs> oh! Ah! Uh, I love we, our cover page, which uh, introduces all our favorite characters. We go from right to left. It's Ayami, Chinatsu, Nagisa, a character I don't know, and <laughs> I don't know why they're there, and then others. Well, yeah, it's it's Hina's friend. Like, yeah. I don't remember her name. I was either. like, I feel like I've seen that character, and maybe they've said their name, but I truly... I, I barely acknowledge Nagisa in this, and yeah. she's had actual, like, scenes. And, uh, and Kyo. He's got no reason to be at the training camp. We got to get that in. Yeah. So, 
Uh, chapter 71, we get just kind of some scenes of just like the most sports stuff that you're that we've gotten since uh, Taiki's match with uh, Yusa, basically just like hard training, running early in the morning, doing uh, high knees and burpees and stuff in the gym until the entire Batman team is collapsed and exhausted. Uh, and uh, they're like, oh, my God. And it's so boiling hot in here. Let's. And Taiki like crawls over to the door to push it open so that they get a little bit of a breeze. Uh, and they see the basketball team jogging by. And Taiki spots uh, uh, Chinatsu seemingly have chatting it up with Matsuoka having a good time. Ooh. And then the, the freaking rhythmic gymnastics team just rides by on a bus. They're like, yeah, they they practice at a gym that's too far away to run to. So they get to ride in a, in a bus, which makes them kind of jealous. Uh, more practice. Uh, Taiki is doing his badminton-y stuff, and then he goes over to Haru and he's like, "Hey, can you can you partner up with me? I want to check if I've got this one move down." And Haru just says, "No way," and walks away. No explanation given. Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> so Taiki's kind of like t- taken aback by this, and he's like, "I mean, look, Haru is the best player on the team, and I want to compete against him so that I can get better. What's going on?" Uh. Then uh, the team takes a bath, and uh, as they come out of it, uh, Nishida just has a moment of like, oh, that hit the spot. Everyone's like, you sound like an old man. It's like, don't hate. Taking a bath does feel good. Fuck off. Uh, And then he says, listen, because the girls are going by to go and and take a bath. A respectable man may think that girls look great fresh out of the bath, but he'd never say it out loud. And Taiki's just, just, I mean, you just, you did, you did just say that. You just said that. And it's like, all right, good for you, Taiki. Calling out, calling that out. And then he says, now everyone's going to get to see Chinatsu Senpai coming out of the bath. It's like, all right, lost all respect for you immediately. It is. You, you like, had it. It's one of those things where, like, I try not to be too hard. He is a kid. He has very weird thoughts to work through. But it is one of those ones you're like, no, everyone gets to see what Chinatsu looks like coming out of the bath. To be clear, it's not like they all get to see her body as she comes. Like, no, she's out of the bath. She's dressed. She has a towel around her. She's just fresh from the bath. He's like, everyone's seen that precious moment over now. And you're like, all right, man, calm down, dude. <laughs> I'm being weird. <laughs> uh, Hina comes by with... Uh, and... Uh... <laughs> That's just their name. Have, uh, they just have, you know exchange some brief words, like you know Taiki makes note of the fact that her hair's down because she's just you know dried it, uh, and they just note like we haven't really seen a lot of each other because we were practicing in different gyms and stuff. Uh, and uh, Taiki's like, yeah, God, it's we practice so much. I, I'm just gonna go straight to bed and be ready for tomorrow. And Nishida is immediately like, no, the night has just begun. It's a sleepover, so let's live it up. And I brought a game. And Ayami like bursts out of her room, like, game, got it, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm joining this. I've just been running you like a slave driver the whole day, but yeah, I'm playing a game with you now. And uh, are you? says is like why are you doing this in my room (laughs) just no fun uh but uh it's the king game that they're going to be playing which is just the hey someone is the king and then they get to tell someone else what to do based on numbers and stuff but in this case they don't get to actually make up the commands it is given to them in card version 
So it's less, you know, I'm going to make people kiss each other and more the cards prompt us to do random stuff. Yes. So Nishida Emiya gets flicked incredibly yeah, hard. It's so funny. Just like, oh, get flicked. And it's like a fucking bomb went off. Like, <laughs> oh my god, best moment of the chapter. Hayu is cruel. He's no mercy. Uh, Kyo is there? I, uh, all right. And he talks. Like I think he and... is a member of the Batman team. He's just not good, right? He's just, I should he's say just... he's not good. He's just average. He's just kind of there. Yeah. And everyone's kind of like, I mean, that was a terrible thing. Uh, there is a moment there. Chinatsu gets one and it's like, oh, well, you've got to get your hair done. And immediately Hina and Nagisa and Ayame all descend on her and just do like random unrelated things with hair ties and stuff. And she gets like three different kinds of braids and looks very silly. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a cute moment where she kind of leans over and it's like, it's embarrassing. It was just me. And she puts a single hair clip in Nagisa's hair. It's cute. Yes. Uh, but Ayame is like, but there is something that no one else has realized. A surefire way to come out on top in the game. The follower card has a small nick on it. So knowing that is as good as ruling the game. And she, it's like, oh, it's, it's Psyche's turn. And so, and Ayame is like, during the last turn, I happened to see the upcoming command, which was to gaze into the eyes of the person on your left. That should be what Inota has to do. And by sharing an intense gaze with Hida, Inota will fall head over heels for her. I can manipulate this game. And Nishida, in the middle of the game, is like, let's give the cards a good shuffle. It's the fourth card that they're on, and now he's shuffling them. <laughs> Uh, like it, it's, it's so random. It's like only for the sake of this joke. Does that like someone would never do this in a card game? Be like, unless they were like, oh, we these are the exact same order the last time I played it or something right. like that, maybe. But yeah, it's very it's it's amusing. But Taiki does end up with a juicy card, which is to shout your feelings to the one you love. And everyone's like, oh, now we're getting into it. This is juicy stuff. What's gonna happen? And Taiki is left to think about Chinatsu and Hina in this moment and ponder over like, oh, the one I love. Yes. And that's Ooh. the chapter. Ooh, killer tofu. Good stuff. It's a good <laughs> pair of chapters. Both yeah, I, I like them. It's, you know, we're, we're setting up some stuff. All right, Nick. So we didn't end this last time. We wanted to give you the opportunity to weigh in on whether or not you want to keep this around. Uh, Ginka and Luna. I mean, are you we mean going- or Ginka and Bruna? We don't actually have to recap it. We can literally just give our thoughts on the first three chapters. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Uh, I really liked the third chapter, by the way. I like this. Uh, I forget her name, but the Beretta. That's it. The girl who gets introduced, and mm-hmm. I like that. You know, we've got this shy, unconfident girl to go along with her very, very confident uh, leads, uh, and uh, she actually sticks around too because she's shows up in the next chapter as well i still feel like this chapter this series is going to end in like 10 weeks or something like that uh so i'm fine with continuing to read it i would like to continue doing that you would like to continue to read it because i was gonna say let's 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 skip it because it's it as you said i don't think it's gonna last particularly long and i'd rather wait to see if it's going to before making that call since we already have a couple of things uh, but we can do it. We can we can add to the recap and keep talking about it. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm I mean, not gonna, I may. I'm not gonna use. The I may video. regret it, but 
I, I may regret it, uh, but I say, yeah, let's do it. And then I'll right. just feel worse when we have to say goodbye to it. Sure. Why not? Cool. I mean, aliens area is going to be gone any day now. That is true. But it'll cut it back down. Right. Uh, yeah. So good stuff. Um, that's our Ginka and Luna recap where we barely talk. Luna. Remember Ginka and Luna. Fuck, 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 fuck. You get it. Quinn. I have a special puzzle for you. Ooh, I'm excited about this one. So we didn't talk about last last week's chapter last week. We got to cover this back to back, which means I have a double length riddle for you. Oh my god, it's 12? It's 12 piece. <laughs> All right, here we go. While portly, he was part of the progression. Then he partook in planets. Then he presented from a playhouse his other persona, dealt pain and paleation. It's a word I had to pick up for this one. Does he now have a pale pelt? Uh, this is Bray Wyatt. Uh, Super Bray Wyatt. Uh, otherwise known as The Fiend. Otherwise known as uh, Husky Harris. Otherwise known That's right. as Mike Rotunda. Uh, also possibly something else, but we might find out about that this weekend. Yeah. Might. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, let's see. Nick has a couple of things he could do. He could easily do either Andrade or Sammy Guevara because those are big names going on right now. Yeah, but let's go for the one that's like more fun. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, I have a game for you as well. I mentioned doing a this game. before. We're going to test this. Uh, this is called Nick and Quinn Waste a Minute of Your Time. Uh, oh, cool. I'm going to set a timer for one minute okay. and I have a wrestler picked out. You need to guess who this wrestler is using only yes or no questions. Uh, okay, once so, the timer runs out, you get one more guess. Okay. So it's just, a, it's just a 20 questions kind of thing. Basically. Yes, but you have only a minute right. to do it. So I'm going right, to start, right, right. I'm going to start it now. Are they an active wrestler? No. Are they a male? Yes. Were they in WCW? Primarily? No. Okay. Were they a WWF? Yes. Okay. Uh, were they prominently active in the 80s? No. Uh, 90s? No. 2000s? Uh, yeah, yes. 2000s, yes. Mostly 2000s, maybe. Uh, are they... Were they WWF champion? Yes. Okay. They, they, they were, were world champion. Were, okay. Were they an intercontinental champion? Yes. And were they uh, European champion? Yes. Is it Kurt Angle? It's Kurt Angle. You got it with yes! 15 seconds left. Good job. We didn't even waste a full minute of your time. See? Well, well no, knowing you, I was like, hang on. I wanted to start off easy. It gets, it'll get harder from here uh, as we start trying to come up with, with less well-known wrestlers. So, All right. So once we get to uh, Kazarni, then we'll uh, really be cooking. I'll have to look up info. Where the fuck was Kazarni from? I don't know. All right, let's cover uh, PPP, PPP, chapter 50, Simple State. Uh, so we get to see some images of, like, the different experiences that people are having uh, and in response to Sora Chika's uh, playing. There's, like, an image of, like, a Buddha. There is <laughs> two Mimins embracing Maloli. Hmm. Let's not read into that too much. Uh, but uh, and of course, we have uh, Lucky and Lucky. And also there's Fanta looking at Fanta, it seems like. But then the images fade as Sorochika finishes playing. 
uh, and everyone is just in stunned silence before applauding almost as if they didn't actually enjoy it because they're just staring blankly because it was so overwhelming. Lucky collapses and just thinks to himself, Sorochika's performance is right. And that brilliant Lucky is right. 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 And as he says right, the piano eye takes over half of him. It's starting to come forward and take over his body. But then he also says to himself, but if what I saw was right, then why do I feel sad? Why me sad? Why me sad? Sadame asks Lucky what uh, he saw. Uh, and we, that gets explained like off panel. Uh, Sorochika has to tell the MC that the performance is over so that he'll continue on with things. Everyone is just so stunned by everything that has happened. Sadame starts to kind of interpret all the stuff that Lucky saw. And there is a very in-depth explanation that he gives about like, oh, you know, like, Piano playing doesn't like, you know, technically contribute to humanity's advancement as directly as like medicine and science and stuff like that. Uh, and, and there's no core requirement for it and curriculums and stuff, but there are geniuses with it and and all that. But putting that aside, something you mentioned that you aren't really focusing a lot on. You said you saw the brilliant Lucky in funeral garb, right? So if he was wearing that, maybe deep down you believe that the brilliant Lucky should be dead. And if Sorochika Otogami's performance is right, when it comes to what you feel is right, you should take everything you saw and felt to correctly understand it. Try putting it into words in simple terms. And Lucky is left to, you know, think about that. And he's like, you know, what do I do? I want to like, am I here for someone else? Am I here for myself? I want to believe my own ego. And Sadana says, well, why? Because I need to see it through. Why? Well, because kindness is just a horrible version of ego. And they have this honestly like very philosophical discussion about these points and and they, well, what this means psychologically and stuff. But Sadame presses the point of like, look, remember this. The bad thing about kindness is that it has a chance of becoming a nuisance. And also, what does being the best mean to you? Human beings live for only a short time, so I believe you should treasure what's most important. The most important thing is real, and that's the ego, which you should protect with everything you have. And Lucky's like, so multiple egos exist? Yes, they do. (laughs) (laughs) This is something that Freud didn't get into. Uh, But he, you know, hey, like, he says, ego is a word that expresses your opinions and will and actions, and words tend to group things together. And Lucky thinks about what the funeral Lucky had told him, which was, the body always chooses you. So he says, I want to be kind to my siblings, and I want them to live happily. And Sadame seems almost surprised by this. He's like, oh, that's what's most important to you? Well, then you need to protect that with everything you've got, and you've got to pay attention to the bad things. Whether you're evolving or reborn, move toward the ego most important to you. I like this way the best. It's the most effective. Sorochika just, like, loomed up over them while this was happening because, of course, Sadame is directly off stage, and we don't really know how much of this conversation Sorochika was overhearing while Sadame was going on about like. So this is what Sorochika's song meant, by the way. Uh-huh. Chapter 51 is titled Da-da-da-dum, which I thought might... 
have been not have been deliberate, but no, it is in fact a reference to Beethoven's Fifth, uh, yes. which features in this chapter. We also need to establish because it's been mentioned several times to us, and I think people will be angry if we don't that this is sort of a shortened retelling of the one shot that explains Sadame that was uh, Mapo number three or Apollo, mm-hmm. yeah, Apollo three's uh, previous like little work. So you can find that if you want to see an extended version of this, but this character who a lot of us were just like, who is this character? He just randomly showed up or whatever. Like mm-hmm. this is what most people saw, like an expanded version of this. Yep. We get a, yep, that's me, Sadame Hino. How did I get here? You may ask. Well, let me tell you. Uh, and what follows is essentially Sadame didn't want to, uh, follow an academic life like his father was pressuring him into. Uh, he wanted him to become a doctor. And so I mean, was like, I don't want to just do what you want to do. And But when he tried to be sincere and explain that to his father, he just got smacked across the face. So instead, he decided to deliberately fail his high school entrance exams. Can't become a doctor if you can't go to high school. Uh, he got kicked out of his home as a result of that. What a good family. Yay! And uh, over time, you know, he just like kind of went from job to job uh, to make ends meet. And he happened to come across Maloli when she was playing at an electronics store and she was playing Beethoven's Fifth and it shook him to his core. Uh, And so he decided that there was something he liked about the way she played and she tried to he tried to copy it and he couldn't really do it. But it was fun to try and it really took him because he was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is this kind of makes me mad that I can't perfectly replicate this because the reason he was so good at school before deliberately failing the entrance exams was it was just memorization. Hey, it's a little bit of an academic, uh, you know, experience criticism there. That's not like you're learning anything. You're just memorizing the right answers. Eh. Uh And he says, like, studying was never really fun for me because I was just born with a talent for it. But he was approached by the director who was told to try and copy Maloli and he couldn't really do all of it. But there was some part of it that he could do. Uh, He still can't match the distortion, of course, that Maloli can do. Uh, But he says, I can do one note like her after she's been helping to tutor me and stuff. Uh, That's a a big fart sound. Yep, that's right. Uh, so, uh, and then that was how he ended up at that vacation home that he had when he was first introduced in this series, was the director just gave him the place to stay. But there was a catch for him to have all that provided for him, which was he had to copy the Otogami sextuplets perfectly. And there's this awesome six page, two-page spread of the six of them in split panels. It's very cool looking. Uh, and now he's scoring off against Sorachika, an empty god, and Sadame's most difficult challenge. Um, and now they're looking at each other, and Sadame says, yeah, you know, the brilliant Lucky was wearing funeral garb, so that's luck- that Lucky's death state is the truth for Lucky, and that's it. And Sorachika looks over at Lucky, and he looks sad, and he says, funeral garb, I see, and leaves. Uh... Lucky wants to go after him, but Sadame gets his attention and is like, hey, what do you want to do about this? Remember the four-on-four contest that's been going on while this has been <laughs> happening? Uh, do you still want to follow the plan? That prioritizes winning. If you want to change it... And so Lucky goes 
to talk to Fanta. And as Saddam is getting introduced, Lucky goes to his brother and Fanta is taken aback when he's like, what, you just want to take it easy? That really pisses me off. (laughs) But Lucky says, look, I don't want to fight because I don't think the piano is something you should use to fight. It's not like that. It's a tool to make you all happy. I mean, yeah, I agree. Uh, It feels like saying that, though, really means the series may not have long left because a lot of the premise of this series is about dueling people with pianos. So the the notion... It made it to a year of publication. It's longer than I thought it was going to get. Oh, so. yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, it's an interesting development. We'll see where this goes. Um, it is curious. I, I guess this chapter also is to give us a bit more context to Sadamune, uh, who I give an astounding thumbs tip slightly sideways, sometimes twitching upwards to. Uh, I don't <laughs> care particularly much for this character, but yeah, I like him uh, enough now. Yeah, agreed. All right, Nick. He is okay. Let's talk about Mashal Chapter 126, Lemon Irvine and the Tattooed Tamer. That's so, right. It's a lemon chapter. Holy shit. <laughs> so, like, a long time ago, Lemon was left in charge of watching Mash along with uh, Tiny Chithead Dude, and uh, someone was breaking in, and we finally follow up on that as the person is there. They're holding a the chain, and they have Cerberus behind them. Ah! And this person's like, hand over mash or face my pet's fangs. Get him, dozer, bulgar, burn. And Levin's just like, oh, my God, we have to keep mash safe no matter what. Ocho, uh, who's a little annoying dude and a little annoying dude immediately just like, here you go. A housewarming gift for me to the bad guy. So he switched sides immediately. Uh, Levin's getting attacked. She's like, no, please. I don't want to die. She's dodging, thankfully. But tattoo guy's like fuck you like what are you doing dogs this is your job and he pulls at their leash and like slams them to the ground and lemon's like wait what the fuck what kind of person does that and she uses her magic to break the chain she is basically like binding magic so she's like there you go your chains are gone and then she starts like petting them she's like who's three good boys who's three good boys and it's like that ferocious cerberus monster has transformed into a friendly pupper the dog's like oh just completely different art style yeah. uh again a joke austin was not here for he only comes for the serious chapters so next time there's a super serious chapter mashal i'll have to invite him back on uh lemon explains she's like look you need to approach animals with love that's how you build a strong bond and tattoo guy's like fuck you <laughs> i don't i don't care about that uh tries to swing uh her his chain at the dogs and she she basically like bends it so it won't uh, and he's just like, Fuck. and also, I think it also attaches back to his wrist as manacles yes. with her binding magic. So. Yes. Uh, so I think actually what she might just do is handcuff him, and that's what stops it. But yeah. Oh yeah, I can yeah. So he can't swing as as well. Yeah. Uh, and then Lemon's like uh, reveals the name she's renamed their dog of Spotty, Spotty, <laughs> Spot, Spotty, and Spottington, which are great names. Yes. <laughs> and she's just like, look, you guys are free now. You don't have to worry about any of that. I'll handle the rest here. You you guys don't worry about it. And they all immediately gather behind her because they're like, yeah, tattoo guy's like, you dare turn against me. And tiny little annoying dude's like, now's our chance to turn this around. And I just like Lemon's face. She's like, fucking like, seriously. Fuck <laughs> uh, Cerberus goes to attack tattooed guy. 
uh, and immediately he activates a magic and just shreds them with these like needles essentially uh, and just drops them. It's kind of sad because it's like a gruesome oh, scene yeah. and then it cuts to like Lemon and Ocha's face and they're just like cartoonish. It's like, oh, this almost needed a more serious thing because it's, it's kind of harsh seeing this dog just oh, yeah. spiked like that. She does like worry over them for a little bit, which is nice. But yeah, it it does kind of undercut the moment for them just to be like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, she she is very worried. Uh, there's another joke about Ochoa being like, "Damn, I've switched sides again too soon," and he's like, "Look, I'm just gonna kill you. Uh, time to put my mash." And Lemon stands between them, and he's just like, "Step aside, I'm gonna kill you." And Lemon's just like, "I'm not moving." And he fucking clocks her across the face, just like not even open handed, just fist smacks her across the room. And he's like, don't ever do that again. And then she like grabs onto his leg. And he's like, she's like, you can't order me around. He kicks her in the stomach. And he's like, fine, no more interruptions now. I'm going to kill Mash Burned at last. Activates his magic. Spikes go out. Lemon stands in the way with her hands kind of there taking up all the spikes. And they pierce through it and into her. And he's just like, <coughs> excuse me, he's just like, why are you doing this? And she says, even though it nearly cost him the exam, MASH saved me. He's kind to a fault, and that's what drew me to him. Not that someone, not someone who mistreats their pets could ever understand this. You know, sacrificing my hands right now is the least I can do to protect this person that I care this much about. Dead two guys are like, all right, fine. Well, if you're that determined, you can die together. <laughs> and uh, he's, he's like summoning this big spike ball. And Lemon's just like, I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to keep him safe no matter what. And the tattoos guy, uh, tattooed guy's arm chops off. Just poof, gone. Just sliced clean, clean off. And uh, he's just like, huh, what? And we just hear a voice say, a wise man once said, there is no sincerer love than the love of food. And as a lover of sweets, I can't help but agree. However, her love is equally deserving of celebration. And Nick, who should it be but Caldo Gehenna, the fourth or fifth most popular character in this series. So they're an important one uh, who has shown up to intervene. Where the fuck has this lemon been this entire goddamn series? Like, th this was great. Yeah. Just... This this very sincere moment where she's doing everything she can to protect Mash and her love for him is not just some like, I love him. It's like, no, she goes over like, this is why I care about him so much is because he was so kind to me. This is what she's willing to do in order to protect him when no one else is there to help uh, against someone that far classes her. And we see some of the stuff that she brings to the table as well. You know, some of the uses of her magical abilities and also just like, you know, her own just like personality not being used as a punchline, but like, no, she gets a freaking Cerberus on her side just by being herself and being nice to this dog that's being abused by its master. It's all very, very good stuff. Yes. And uh, I would have loved to have this happen like five more times through the series up to this point instead of it only just happening now. I'm glad we got something, I suppose. Like there is definitely a part of me that could have like seen this have all happened like the series run back and like we didn't really get much of a scene for lemon aside from like oh she protected mash while i was recovering but we never really cut really cut back to that or whatever like established that something happens there and she had to protect him is nice um i'm not like 
super excited called okahenna is there to save the day but it's like all right fine something for him to do when we've kind of established what the other characters are going to be doing right now like it's fine all right so the elusive samurai chapter 79 slapdash 1335 and also we'll talk about chapter 80 and they do kind of go together pretty well uh again the whole thing like you mentioned that uh the uh the guy with the girl on his breastplate looked a lot like the other guy and now we get a scene that establishes his relationship with tadayoshi where he was encouraged to follow this path because it was good for ashikaga and they're dressed almost the exact same they've got the same ear the same hair the same face it's like what is going on these are not related characters are these not different i don't understand what is happening um Ayaka is fighting him, and uh, she is getting pushed back. Some of the random foot soldiers get in the way and help out. Uh, and Ayaka says, you know, like, hey, you know, look, I'm big and rough and ru- unruly like my father is. I'm not really the ideal woman for my lord, but he accepts me anyway. So my dedication to him is absolute. And she comes in and is going to kick his ass with a, with a, with a spear. Uh, and the soldier, you know, admires that she's got this wild fighting style. Uh, and this powerful will. And he's like, and I'm going to take all that and put it in my made-up waifu because that's what I do. Uh, and uh, we also get some more of the bits of the fight between the other people. Uh, Shizuku and the Shrine Maidens attack sexual harassment samurai guy uh, and back up Ayaka's father while doing so. Uh, Ayaka's father, uh, his weapons keep on getting chopped up so he decides to use the corpses of fallen soldiers as weapons instead in um an interesting strategic move that seems to be perfectly effective okay uh and then we get over to tokiyuki who is dodging 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 uh, slashes while kojiro just kind of waits for an opening and doesn't engage at all uh, and Shibukawa is getting more and more angry as Tokyuki continues to mock him, and also Genba interferes in the fights uh, by throwing rocks and stuff, until Shibukawa just lashes out with this massive whirlwind attack with his huge-ass sword, uh, and he get, he's attacking even faster. Tokyuki gets nicked with a small wound, uh, and uh, we also cut over to Uno very briefly, uh, but he's like, you know, Shibukawa is very strong, but he's still young. Because, and this is important because Shibukawa is starting to get tired. He's gotten so angry that he has been holding back and he's just been going all out. And now he's kind of exhausted. He's hit his stamina limit. And now Kojiro's like, all right, now I'm going to kill this guy. Thanks for wearing him down for me. And Tokyuki not only steps back, he actually kneels down to just let Kojiro get all, get the last blow in. And, uh, then we start off chapter 80, Ideals 1335, with like just kind of like, by the way, this will be our strategy. Um, and that's basically what they say they're going to do. Uh, and although Shibukawa is still super strong, Kojiro is able to block blows better because he's much more tired. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're like, oh man, this was their plan the whole time. Uh, and we get more of the fight with Ayaka's father and the guy. <sighs> Sorry. Okay. Um, and um, 
there's just like wild stuff happening with corpses being smashed into each other in order to, to attack this guy. And uh, he's like, I better get serious. Otherwise, I won't be able to sexually do things to women more. It's, it's bad. And uh, then finally we cut over to Ayako's fight. And they go for uh, the waifu guy, Ishido. And Ayako does the sickest sunset flip powerbomb off of the guy's horse that I have ever seen. Up by the waistband and then down into the fucking ground shoulder first into a pinning combo. And everyone Hell just yeah. pins him down together. Uh, and there are immediately four guys who follow up with her pinning each of his limbs down while Ayako holds a sword to his neck and she demands that he surrender. Uh, and he says, no, do it. You fight rough anymore and there won't be anything left of you. And Ayako says, eh, who cares? I do this for my lord. So, in his last moments, he's like, hmm, I have admired your unyielding struggle, but that was my downfall. Suruko will be jealous of me. But, you know, when you spoke of Shizuku, I sensed a romantic rivalry. It's like, this guy's so weird. <laughs> it's such a dopey, like, little section of this story, too. Anyway, the, um, he says all that. I think it's kind of it's, embarrassed. It's like this weird moment. And then she cuts his head off. <laughs> well, she doesn't cut his head off. He cuts his head off using her sword. Yeah, he leans into the blade in yeah. order to do it. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's like, I, I was idolizing the ideal woman and the pursuing the ideal martial arts in order to benefit Tadayoshi Sama so we could create an ideal world. Uh and my entire life has been a struggle to reach the unreachable. Somehow, with his entire threat code open, Kitty, uh, he keeps on talking, which is incredibly uh, impressive. Uh, and then he dies while thinking about his waifu. Uh, and he goes to an afterlife where he gets to watch her dance, it seems like. And uh, Ayaka's reaction is, what a strong man. Not what a strange man, just what a strong man. <laughs> yeah. Um... That was Professor Peanuts. Uh, the Spookmaster General also has a cat. Uh, that's it. named uh, Professor Peanuts. He does not get scarier as the year goes along because I've tried to put collars on him and he does not like it. Um, but just understand his disposition gets worse as the, the year goes along. It's spookier. Uh, as for this chapter, like I like the sunset foot moment. Like It's super cool. I'm very tired of having to cut back to creepy, weird, like, I want all your women guy. Like, that's super annoying. And I want that character to just die, not for cathartic reasons, but I'm tired of going there. Um, I was going to say I liked so much this chapter, but I really disliked, like, I heard when you mentioned Suzuku, I sensed a romantic rivalry. I'm like, I don't think we need to boil these characters down to the fact that they both yeah. have crushes on fucking Tokiyuki. Like, it feels very reductive. Hey, can we focus on the part where we spent like three pages where like she jumped on your horse and then jumped off the back of your horse while grabbing your belt so that she could freaking power bomb you into the ground? Yeah. So, nah, it's awesome. Since the romantic rivalry, though. Instead, it's like these two women are failing to Buckdale test and one of them isn't even there. So it's, like, <laughs> it's like, all right, man, fucking. I don't think an achievement. Yeah. All right, oh, Nick. Let's end this by talking about Bulak Clover, chapter 339. But Quinn, don't you mean Bulak 
grosser? I don't know. Uh, that one was kind of okay. It was all right. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll workshop it. I'll workshop it. Okay. Uh, I can't read it because I think it's Zetton. Uh, page 39, Zetton. Uh, my mouse has also died. That's yeah. The, the, the title the title does there kind of go. blend into the uh, black and white uh, of that uh, particular yeah. panel. So, so uh, we visit the healer guy that Asta had been told about before. His name is Fumuto Mikuria. I'm not going to remember this character's name. He is now going to be Bubblefish Man. Uh, and Bubblefish Man incredibly plain looking, yes. I have to say. So and Bubblefish Man literally has these like bubble koi uh, water spirits kind of floating around, and he's just like, "Yeah, I, I, I'm a recovery genius. I healed him. This is so great. I healed your devil as well. Like there you go." Uh, and Asta and uh, Sabretooth reunite, and they hug, and they have such a great time. <laughs> I always forget the three line, like the lines it takes to get from Sabretooth to uh, this character's original name, so it always catches me for surprise when I say it too. But I, I do remember it eventually. Aster tries the food. He's like, "Holy shit, this food's incredible!" He's more smiling. He just gets really sad. He's like, "I really have to get back home. <laughs> like this has to happen." Uh, and he's like, "Ryu, please, what can I do to get back?" And Ryu's like, "Look, I get it." But if you go back now, you're not going to beat Lucius. Like, it's just not going to happen. Nasa's like, I won't know until I try. Please, I have to save him. I couldn't do anything to protect her. Like, everybody's just in pain, essentially, right now. And Ryu's like, nah, it's fine. You've got time. Nasa's like, starts getting anxious. I gotta be so sure. You want me to train? I've been training for as long as I remember. I can't get any stronger than this. And uh, <coughs> Yami's sister... Slaps him across the face. I've forgotten the character's name. Um, we're going to call her Shmami right now. Shmami <laughs> is like, I have no idea what's happening to you or the people around you, and I don't care if you die. You're only alive right now because these two people saved you. If you're a foreigner, like you, a foreigner, we, like when we believe they bring disasters, like, you know, like if you're going to ignore his orders and waste the life he saved then I'm just going to kill you right now because there's no point in it. Don't take others' kindness for granted. And Asta is like, yes, I, you know what? I apologize. Thank you both for saving me. And Ryu's like, hey, look, that's like, he says the thing that I'm very glad he says. He's like, look, it's fine. We want to deal with Lucius too. Eventually Lucius would be a problem for us. So we don't yeah, think he's going to stop at one continent. It's a very pragmatic way of dealing with it. And it, I like this whole way this whole thing goes out because Ryu is trying to talk sense to Asta because he's like, look, we are trying to do about the go with this. We're going to help you. You just need to stay here for right now. And when that doesn't work, then Ich Ichika has to just be like, you shut the fuck up. I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, I'll cut, I'm going to cut your goddamn guts out and feed them to you. Um, so we cut over and she's uh, it's the training time now. And Ryu's just like, yeah, this guy has overwhelming strength, you know, magic. Oh, he's talking about uh, Lucius. He's like, this guy's got overwhelming physical strength, man, and magic. If you take him on, uh, he'll have your back gets well in no time. You want to end the fight fast, and to do that, you need Zetan. And that's the thing's back to the thing he saw Chica do, which was like the multiple strikes at once and everything like that. And he's like, but I don't have any magic. And he's like, eh, I wouldn't worry about that. Try focusing on our key for right now. And he senses her key, and he's like, yeah, everybody manipulates its unconsciously, turning it into your Yoku. 
You do a super pro- uh, precise version of that, though, on purpose. Take the Yoroku inside yourself and then make it erupt at once. And we see Ichika do it as she slices essentially this thing of bamboo straight down the middle on a clean slice. And she says, you know, the amount of Yoroku and its speed generates explosive power. And then you should try it. And the medical guy, uh, Bubblefish Man, is just like, that's not going to work, though. It takes way too long to do this. Like, people train forever and still, or train for years and still can't do it. You know, the only ones who can do it are you and the other Ryu's in Seven. And Asta's kind of just, like, focusing on this. And Ryu's like, you saw how she used the key, right? You have the devil. Anti-magic flows you, uh, throws through you now. It's use that instead of your Yoku and give it a shot. So Asta focuses. He starts translate trans uh transferring all of the anti-magic into him and he does a strike and nothing really happens bullfish guy's like yeah i know you can't really expect and then cut over the bamboo stalk is not just split in half it's like disintegrating like ripping straight down and like burning across and everyone is shocked except for you who's just like yep you rule dude <laughs> all right <laughs> you already have a solid foundation you just didn't know how it was done so get out there and pick up more experience. And Asta just says thank you to Achika. And he has a genuinely very grateful face as he says, I can still get stronger. And he seems very, very authentically happy about this. And Achika's just like scowling as he's like, thanks in advance for all your health. She's just like, fuck you, you shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a good chapter. Like, yeah. um, I really like the way that this technique was illustrated and it's cool because you see in a moment like okay here is how it works by default and here is how it works for asta and it's just very concisely explained like this is why it works differently you're not using magic you're using anti-magic but because of the experiences you already have you can use these techniques and here is the difference in how they manifest and stuff uh i think we didn't really need Bubblefish guy here for any of this other than just like I healed your I healed your buddy and then he could have just gone away but um other than that a very good chapter I think yeah I think this was a very very good one that's gonna wrap up this very packed yeah. like among a recap yep there is no one piece this week so we get to end basically just on time uh favorite series and MVP uh mvp for me is definitely lemon like that's an easy one for me favorite series is a little harder i liked a lot of them i guess i kind of want to give it to black clover not because i think black clover was necessarily the best 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 chapter this week but i want to give some credit to that moment of asta thanking achika there was like this very genuine emotion that was carried through the art that i found very very cool and very very um appreciated like asta really does seem so thankful to finally have not hit a limit that he was like i can't beat this guy and i've trained all this time i'm never going to get stronger like to see that there was an opportunity for him to still grow <laughs> and how thankful he was it was it was very sweet yeah this is the kind of reaction that you wanted to have in response to the characters hitting this major low point uh i'm really glad that we got this set of chapters leading to this moment for master where, yeah, he's not only experiencing his new environment, but he's also got this huge thing burdening him, and he's really worried that he's just going to fail because he can't get any stronger. It's the reaction that I wish 
one of the other black bulls it had just one of them instead of all of being like everything's gonna be okay (laughs) um but uh my uh mvp is also going to be lemon uh just because it was incredibly caught off guard and very pleased by uh the way things happened i think my favorite series this week is going to be undead unluck because it was just a bunch of really cool huge moments that happened in a row combined with some cool character stuff that was happening Yes, immensely so. Um, the audience, by the way, picked uh, Undead Unlock and Lemon. They matched you completely. So, Nick, the voice of the people this week. Yep, up until all the Halloween stuff happens as we proceed further into the month. Guys, but we're in thank- the spooky season. Woo! Thank you all for joining us for this long edition of Weekly Manga Recap. We record the show here on twitch.tv slash Wednesday evenings, usually starting around 7 or 7.30 Eastern time. But to stay updated on exactly when the show goes live, you can follow us on Twitter, RoloT, Nick F. Time, and WMR Podcast. And you can also join the Weekly Mockery Cast Discord server, which will send out an alert when we go live. And also, that server is a great place to just hang out if you like all the stuff that we talk about. We've got a wonderful community of fans who would have bi-weekly game nights, uh, participate in polls about uh, favorite moments uh, from the show and and also from the series that we cover that are coordinated by Ninja X3i. You can find those polls as well as all sorts of helpful statistics associated with the show by going to the Google Doc that he maintains. And you can also drop some recommendations for series as well there. We also want to thank Miles Jack Stilitz and Winslow Dale Trader for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap, which you can see on the video versions of the recorded show on youtube.com slash weekly manga recap. We also get some title cards occasionally made by Steve Mann, whose work you can check out on twitter.com slash Steve Mann Art. Yeah, uh, this time it was one, Bond and Genji kind of touching each other, which we didn't even talk about the fact that there's like a lot of Hoye interaction between them. Well, I mean, like when there's... Yeah, I mean, there's that when you have like you know, actual like relationships built basically only between guy characters in a series, then that's gonna happen. Anyway, um, where was I? Oh, and we also want to thank everyone who supports us over on Weekly Mag Recaps uh, Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Weekly Mag Recap, where you can check out for bonus content that we love to create for you guys. All right. Uh, so it is spooky Halloween month, the month of October, and we're getting started a little bit late as a result of natural disaster things interrupting when we were supposed to talk about, uh, get backers, but to get right back into it, we're going to be looking at a series called Hozuki Island. This is a manga that is created by the uh creator of what is it called cradle of monsters that was it so if we go back way back into the beginning days of weekly manga recap it's the same creator of something we've already covered before it's about children who get uh go to live on a deserted island somewhere but there seems to be something mysterious going on among the adult teachers that they're keeping secret from the children what could it be interesting all right well that's it and remember, children, stay spooky. Lean, lean a little bit further over there. Spooky. You'd think after like five years I'd get a lamp that was closer, but I. Yeah.
Dope. Or like a like a like a yardstick that you could you know. Or just get like a digital thing. We're in the future, you know. That's the true yeah. terror of all this, you know. Okay. I mean, it's all a simulation anyway. So yeah, get back as proved it. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>